and when the waters part then he realizes that this was that path and that's why he instantly goes into the sea as opposed to hesitating at that moment or being a bit unsure as to what exactly will happen for example what we mean here is that when he strikes the staff and the waters part how does he know the waters won't close the person might have hesitated a little bit and say okay look the waters have parted I don't know we go in the waters could close in again and within that hesitation the army of Fir'aun would have caught up to them on land itself but because of this revelation that Allah Taala told him in advance that you are going to make a dry path across the sea so the second one Sayyidina Musa Islam struck his staff and the waters parted and he saw dry the riverbed then he realized that this is a path this is the path I'm supposed to take the waters will not close on me this is that path that Allah Taala has promised me so he immediately went inside Fir'aun found out about this in the morning. This is why another thing Allah SWT said that you should leave at night, so you leave under cover. So when sun rose, then Fir'aun's people saw in the town that all the Bani Israel have left, their homes are empty, the Bani Israel that are workers and servants haven't reported to work, etc. So he realized several hours later, the difference why was Fir'aun able to catch up to them, because he had cavalry, he came on horse. Whereas Sayyidina Musa Islam went on foot. Second Sayyidina Musa Islam was taking the whole community. So there were women, there were children, there were elderly. So the speed at which they travel would be less. Fir'aun was taking this army of soldiers. So that's why Fir'aun then, by, by the time Sayyidina Musa Islam was about to, and the Bani Shul, to lead them inside the water, you could see Fir'aun's army now. They weren't close enough in striking distance, but you could see them, and it's clear that they are going to, they're coming at a fast enough pace to catch up to you. So here, this is what Allah subhanahu wa has said to give wahi to say Muslim that don't fear. You have no need to fear anything. La taqafu, anything darakan that is coming behind you. So this is also Allah Taala had planted this wahi, so that when Sayyidina Muslim looked back, when he looked in front and saw the water, he knew that was his path. When he looked back and saw the army of Fir'aun, Allah Taala had prompted him already, don't fear what's pursuing you. So he knew that even though I can see them, I don't have to fear them. My Allah Ta'ala already knew they were coming and Allah Ta'ala has told me not to fear. Nor should you have any other fear. This could again be referring to the water closing or any other fear as to fear what we would do on the other side, what's going to happen to us. So Allah Ta'ala strengthened the resolve of Sayyidina Musa by sending him these verses of revelation. These words of revelation, these are verses in Quran al-Karim, but by sending that wahi on to Sayyidina Musa salam. When he struck the sea with his staff, which is something we had done last year in Surah Baqarah, Surah Al-Araf, uh, Allah SWT made 12 paths, and later on you're going to see when he crosses and he strikes a boulder, Allah Ta'ala will make 12 springs gush forth. This is because the Bani Israel were divided into 12 tribes. Why was it that they had to cross the sea in 12 different paths? Why did they have to drink from 12 different springs? Well, this is what the commentators have said, is they were people who had let their tribal and clan differences based on genealogy and lineage separate them. And they could not even... They could not even... Is no, move the thing back. They could not even collaborate with one another in their different tribes 
this ta'asub, this extreme arrogance and their lineage and genealogy is what eventually will lead, as you saw in Surah Baqarah, the Jews of Medina Manawra not to accept Sayyidina Rasulullah because he wasn't from the lineage of Sayyidina Ishaq but rather he was from the lineage of Sayyidina Ismail but even within the lineage of Sayyidina Ishaq they were not even able to walk across that dry path unless they had their own each one of those twelve groups had their own lane, so to speak, in that highway made for them. Then here this word that when uh, when Pharaoh and his army followed them, then a wave of water, or literally if you were to translate that, and there covered them that of the sea, that portion of the sea that did cover them. Here what happens in the Arabic language when you refer to something in this vague way, it's one reason that is done is to denote enormity and immensity and size. So you can imagine massive tidal waves, massive amounts of water. It drowned Fir'aun and his army at that moment. The last ayah that we read was about Fir'aun misled his nation. That number one, that he led his qawm astray. And number two, he didn't guide them. This gives us an indication that it's the leader's job to guide his qawm. So one is that Fir'aun will be punished on the Day of Judgment for himself choosing disbelief in Sayyidina Musa himself being astray. Second, for him leading his qawm astray. And third, that he failed to guide them because this is the responsibility of a leader towards his followers. And this is why Allah subhanahu mentions it specifically. That is true for every type of leader. Whether it's a political leader today, whether it's the leader of the family, whether it's the leader of a group of friends, in any position of leadership and authority, the leader must follow Hidayah themselves and they must also be a source of guiding those who fall under their guidance, guiding them to the teachings of Deen. Now verses 80 to 82. Allah SWT addresses the Bani Israel that indeed we delivered you from your enemy we rescued you from enemy and we made a covenant with you on the right side of Mount Tur and I explained this to you last time what right side means maybe in respect to where they were standing on the right side or this word can also mean in that side which had Barakah in Mount Tur and we sent down upon you manna and man and salwa this is something that we explained in Surah Baqarah, verses 55 to 57 earlier. Then Allah Ta'ala says, yibat, Eat from the pure things that we have provided we have provided for you, and do not transgress the limit. Fihi. Do not transgress, do not exceed the limits. Why? Because then Allah SWT says, My wrath, my wrath, my wrath and anger will descend upon you. And then, وَمَنِ يَحْلَلْ عَلَيْهِ غَلَبِي Each and every such person and any such person upon whom my anger and wrath befalls فَقَدْ هَوَى Then that person has become, will have gone completely astray and will have certainly fallen from the path. However, وَإِنِّي love the فَارْ Indeed, I am the one who is all-forgiving. Allah Subhanahu says, لِمَنْ For such a person who Number one, Taba makes Tawbah and repents. Wa'amana. Number two, adopts Iman. Wa'amana Saliha. And number three, does righteous acts. Thummahtada. And number four, then follows Hidayah. So here when Allah subhanahu wa addresses the people of Bani Israel, He reminds them of that covenant, that promise that He made with them in Mount Tur. This is the Torah. 
Because actually the sacred scripture was revealed to Sayyidina Musa salam when Allah Ta'ala called him up to that mountain. So in other words, Allah SWT is reminding them that okay, now you are free. You've been freed from Fra'aun, you're freed from oppression. Now you have to follow the scripture and the prophet that I've sent to you. Then about eating the pure things. So we have two things here. Number one is that what, and this is a lesson for us as well, that we have to eat from the tayyibat. Tayyibat means those things are pure in terms of their composition, their ingredients, and also pure in terms of the nature of earnings that was used to obtain them. Not transgressing means, number one, not to transgress in either of these things, not to eat something which is halal or to earn, not to eat something which is haram or to earn haram income. And not transgressing also means that when you eat and earn from lawful sources, even then you should not use that nourishment or sustenance in the disobedience of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that is a problem that a lot of us have. We eat the food that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala provides us, but we use that energy to send. We earn money in even a lawful way that Allah Ta'ala has enabled us to earn, but we use that money in sin. We spend that money on sin. So that is all of that falls under this notion of Israf. And then what happens is very important. Allah Ta'ala says, Allah Ta'ala ghazab. Maghdubi alayhim. The ghazab, their anger and wrath of Allah Ta'ala falls upon such a person who has been given a prophet. Look, look what's been talking. It's not talking to disbelievers who has been given a prophet, on such a person who has been given a book, on such a person who has been given lawful earning, on such a person who has been given lawful food, who has been given tayyibat. So that is the situation that we find ourselves in. We have Qur'an al-Kareem, like they have Torah. We have Sayyidina Rasulullah, like they have Sayyidina Musa Islam. We have tayyibat. Allah Ta'ala has given us education and wealth and homes and cars. We have all of those things. We're exactly the same situation that the Bani Israel were in. They were the favored nation. We are from Ummah Mustafa. So that is why their story is in for us for Quran because our situation resembles them so much. And if we engage in Israf, we don't use those bounties that Allah Ta'ala has given us for His worship and obedience, we are also in the same danger that Allah Ta'ala's wrath could fall upon us. And then we would end up in the same position that the one upon whom Allah Ta'ala's wrath and anger befalls, truly they are from the fallen and downtrodden. And similarly, we are in the same position, the last ayah, which is that Allah subhanahu is indeed that at the same time, we also have that hope. And we have that hope, perhaps foremost, that Allah subhanahu is all forgiving, ever forgiving. So we have to make the same four steps. First step is tawbah, liman taba. Tawbah means to renounce sin. To make a sincere, heartfelt intention and pledge that you will never return to that sin in the future. That can erase everything that a person did in the past. That can erase all the misuse of blessings that we did. That can erase all of the israf that we did. That can erase all the ghafla, heedlessness, neglect that we have. We have to make that first step of tawbah. Tawbah is the big eraser. Seek Allah Ta'ala's forgiveness from the past and sincerely intend never to go back that road in the future. And as we mentioned to you in many lectures also, tawbah also means you have to take practical steps because there's very great danger when a person leaves sin that they have its emotion and they have a passion to stay away from that sin but unless they take certain steps to make sure they sustain and develop themselves 
to make sure they remain connected to the deen, there's a chance they can burn out. Because shaitan is going to be all over them. Shaitan targets the mu'mineen who are taibin. How he wants them to break their tawbah. He will send their old friends back to them. He will remind them of their old pleasures. They will be walking in a mall and hear some song. Then they will remember every single thing that they ever did. So to do to tawbah, you have to connect yourself deeply. And no one should ever think Right, that just because I changed my outward self, I changed my zahir, I'm outwardly following sunnah, I'm outwardly wearing hijab, that that is my tawbah. No, the zahir is the first step. It's going to take a long process to fix our button, to take out those desires, to take out those unlawful feelings, to take out those unlawful attractions, to forget those memories of those unlawful pressures. So a person shouldn't be overconfident when they make a quote-unquote sudden change, no, a person has to show some lasting effort, lasting change, then they become mazboot in deen. How is that lasting part going to take? That is what Allah Ta'ala mentions the next three steps after Tawbah. وَآمَنَا To once again pledge your iman to Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. To once again surrender your heart wholeheartedly to Him and believe in each and every one of the imaniyat. And then number three, وَآمِنَ الصَّالِحَ That a person must do a'mal salih a person has to drown themselves in good acts of worship, acts of virtue, acts of piety, acts of taqwa, acts of sabr, acts of akhlaq. And then what will happen? Thumma After their tawbah, their iman and a'mal, thumma comes for taraqi. Afterward, all of that, thumma Then they must follow hidayah. Then they must look at every single thing in the Quran, sunnah and shari'ah and follow it. So first start with the basics, make tawbah, renew, strengthen your iman, and just get busy with a'mal. Get busy with a'mal. Once you have that foundation, then you will be able to follow any and all of the hidayah that there is in deen. So in this one ayah, which is again uh, Surah Taha, verse number 82, Allah SWT has given us a wonderful step-by-step process by which what? By which we get this maghfirah from Allah SWT. That we find that we become Abdul Ghafar, we are able to get this lasting, eternal day of judgment forgiveness from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala if we can follow these steps in our life. Here, then, returning now from verse 83, a long passage where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then repeats the story of Sayyidina Musa salam. What made you hasten ahead of your people, Ya Musa? Sayyidina Musa replied to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that they are just coming after me. I hasten to you, my Rabb, so that you might be pleased. What happened here is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala called Sayyidina Musa to Mount Tur to receive the wahi, and he told Musa that bring some of your senior people with you. Think something like that. So Sayyidina Musa selected 70 of the Bani Israel to accompany him. And this is one, every now and then there are certain numbers that come in Quran and Hadith. How much those numbers may or may not mean, Allah Ta'ala knows best. But this number 70, the number 3, the number 7, the number 10, the number 40, the number 70, the number 313, these are numbers that have come more than once. The number 4, for different amounts, different numbers, right? There's no mythological, astrological, horoscope type significance, but it means it's a level of ijma'ah. So when he picks in, we'll say pick 70. So for example, what could this be used for? If there was a small
small population Muslim country and they wanted to have a Majlis Ashura, maybe they could pick the number 70. Instead of arbitrarily picking a number or dividing constituencies arbitrary, arbitrarily, they could take guidance. Why? Because this was the selection and choice of a Prophet. Sayyidina Musa is a Nabi of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And these Bani Israel numbered in the tens of thousands. And he selected 70 from them. So there's some, there is certainly something there. Behind there's some hikmah in his selection. But then Khair, when he was taking them, he started walking ahead of them. Fast. So they were left behind. So Allah subhanahu wa asked Musa salam, Now obviously this is part of Sayyidina Musa becoming Kalimullah. Obviously Allah subhanahu wa knows every emotion and intention in the heart of Musa salam, Right? So this was, again, those of you who were in Chakwal last year, you'd remember. Right? The name was Hanawa. Hanawa. Right? So Allah subhanahu wa saying that, Oh my beloved Musa, what is it that is causing you to hasten yourself to me? So Allah Ta'ala loved this. And he wants, not just, he not only is Allah Ta'ala enjoying seeing Musa Islam do it, he wants to hear it from him. He wants to hear it from him. Right? And you see that that is how people are when they, uh, even people are with one another when they have this love. So Sayyidina Islam said, actually I was so excited to come see you. I just wanted to hurry on my way to see you so you would be even more pleased with me. But don't worry, they're coming. They're right behind me. Love Akbar. So this is this conversation of love. But after that conversation of love, then Allah SWT breaks some very bad news to say to Musa Islam. Let me just read this whole incident and then we'll comment on it. So then this is now verse number 85. So Allah SWT then said, after that conversation, to Musa Islam, that indeed we have tested your people in your absence and somebody has led them astray. He, somebody has deceived them and led them astray. So Sayyidina Musa Islam then returned to his people angered and grieved. Two emotions he had. We'll talk about this in a bit. Anger and grief. And then he said, Oh my people, has your rub not has the promise of your did your rub not make you a true and fair promise? Or has the promise taken too long for you? Or do you want that the wrath of your rub should descend upon you because of the tryst, the agreement that you have broken with me? So his people they responded to him and they said that we've not as far as we were able, we broke no promise to you. But we were made to carry the load of the ornaments of a people of a nation and we cast them off as somebody had suggested. And he, somebody produced of them a figure of a calf, a figure or a body of a calf that made sounds of a cow. And then they said that this is your rub and the rub of Musa salam, but he, yani Musa salam, has forgotten. This is what they said. The people who made the calf, they told the onlookers that this calf is your rub, Bani Israel. It's also the rub of Musa Islam, but Musa Islam has forgot that this is his rub, and instead he has wandered off to Mount Tur looking for something else. That's what they said. So then, this is the end of their dialogue that Allah SWT says, that didn't they see that it did not reply to them, nor did it possess any ability to either harm or benefit them, has Allah and the Anbiya always tell people about these idols that are made of material objects? Then Sayyidina Harun al-Islam had been left behind. He wasn't one of the 70 people that Sayyidina Musa took with him. So they had another Nabi who was present and they did all of this 
in the presence of that other Nabi. So Sayyidina Islam had already told them previously that, Oh my people, you are only being tested by this. Your Rabb is Al-Rahman. So follow me and he follow Nabi Islam and obey my command because he commanded them to desist, to refrain from worshipping that golden calf. They, the Bani Israel, replied to Sayyidina Hawla Islam that no, we will continue to remain devoted to it until Sayyidina Musa comes back to us. Now Musa is back. Musa says that Harun, oh my brother, oh Harun, when you saw them, what held you back when you saw them going astray? What held you back when you saw them going astray from coming and following me? coming and you should have come to me and told me and there I was Allah SWT told me so I came back you should have come and told me that this is what they're up to they're fashioning this golden calf so have you disobeyed my instructions to guard the community to guard the community in my absence Sustainable Islam said that O oh, son of my mother Ya Bana Ummi O son of my mother don't grab my beard La Ta'khuz Yati and don't grab me by my head. So this part means that actually not only was Sayyidina Musa Islam verbally asking him, Sayyidina Musa Islam was also grabbing him. That what was the matter with you? Allahu Akbar. So Sayyidina Musa Islam invoked the fact that they were brothers from the same mother. Go back to Sayyidina Umar reading Surah Taha after striking down his own sister. And the same sister had also invoked the same thing that, oh, Umar, we are of the same mother. And Sayyidina Musa is reading the story, right? Of Sayyidina Musa also getting physical with his brother, and his brother also saying that we are of the same mother. So Sayyidina then gives his answer that why he didn't follow. So he says, that, Look, I feared, O Musa, that you might say that you have divided the Bani Israel, and you did not wait regarding my instruction as to what to do about this that they are worshipping the calf. Divided means what happens was that there were some of the Bani Israel, some commentators say 12,000, who listened to Hawan al-Islam and did not worship the calf. There was another group who got, second group, who got involved in worshipping the calf, but then afterwards when he kept telling them they made toba from that and they realized they were wrong, and there was a third group that didn't make toba. they were the ones who were saying that this is also the rub of Musa al-Islam and Musa must have forgotten and they remained attached to Samiri. So Sayyidina did not want to split the Ummah in the sense their community of believers into three until the senior Nabi Sayyidina Musa al-Islam came back and he could decree on this issue. Some commentators say also perhaps that Sayyidina thought that Sayyidina Musa would be getting revelation from Allah SWT and instructions because clearly at this point Sayyidina Harun although he had instructions from Sayyidina Musa to generally watch over the community, Sayyidina Harun did not receive any wahi from Allah as to what to do about the situation. It is impossible that a Nabi receive wahi and fail to act, but it's possible that a Nabi has been given instructions by another Nabi, say his brother Sayyidina Musa Islam, to handle the community and he tried, it's not that he failed to act, but now he didn't know, there were no instructions for him what to do in such a situation. Alright? So it should be very important because some modernists, they also use this as an example that to suggest that Anbiya aren't absolutely perfect, they don't always know what to do. That is ridiculous. That may happen 
as we say, vakti, that may happen temporarily, but then Allah subhanahu will always send the revelation, as you're going to see in the rest of the story, Allah subhanahu will always send the revelation to the Prophet to guide them as to how to manage the situation. Okay, so this was the answer that uh, verse number 86 that Sayyidina Harun alayhi salam sorry, verse 92, 94 that Sayyidina Harun alayhi gave to Sayyidina Musa alayhi salam alright so now resuming from verse 95 let me let's stop here at this and just cover a few points up to here so the first thing was the two feelings that he felt was anger and remorse, right? Anger and remorse. This means that, yes, it is natural. If a Nabi feels, the emotion that a Nabi feels when people who are supposed to be believers, you will, ne- you will not find that you, a Nabi is feeling anger against non-believers. For example, Sayyidina Rasulullah Wasallam. certainly he felt anger maybe at those non-believers who were accosting him and waging war against him, but just on the basis of their kufr, he felt no anger against them. Right? But how does a Nabi feel for believers who disobey? So that is emotion that we see now in Sayyidina Musa Islam, that the first emotion was that of anger. So again, we should reflect, because this is in Quran for us, if we are believers who don't obey Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and we believe, we do have iman in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and we have iman in Sayyidina Rasulullah wasallam. So we are putting ourselves in danger that just like Sayyidina Musa salam, was angry with the believers in his community who despite their belief they still disobeyed we would be in danger that Sayyidina Rasulullah will be angry with us on the Day of Judgment because we disobeyed Allah SWT. Because the Quran is teaching us that's how a Nabi feels about the believers and members of his Ummah who disobey Allah. And the second feeling he feels is grief. Sadness, a sadness. So neither would we want to make Nabi Karim Sassam angry, and nor would we want to make him sad. We wouldn't want to do either of those things. So this is why these Allah Ta'ala is sharing with us the emotions, so that we know how what happens to the heart of a Nabi when his Ummah disobeys and disbelieves in Allah SWT. And we don't want to be a source of either anger or displeasure or grief and sadness to the heart of Sayyidina Rasulullah So always remember everything in Quran is a lesson for us. Everything has to be related to us. These aren't just ancient stories being told for the sake of storytelling. We have to find and discover the lessons in these ayat for us. Okay, the next thing to explain is that Samiri. Now, who was Samiri? Commentators are split over this. Some say that he was full Bani Israel stock. Some say he was half Bani Israel, half Coptic. Some say he was entirely Copt. He was a Munafik who just joined them in their exodus, which is the term that they use in Biblical English for their voyage and their fleeing of it all. Either way, what is this? where did this gold come from? So what happened here was that the women of Bani Israel, they were poor. And shortly before, or shortly after, they fled Misr right before a festival of theirs. 
and they did not yet know that Allah Ta'ala revealed to their Prophet Musa salam that they have to leave so they were preparing for that festival as part of the preparation for that festival the women of Bani Israel had borrowed golden jewelry from the Coptic women so that they could adorn themselves in that festival when at night Sayyidina Musa's command came directive came to them that we are all going to get up and go and flee so they took that jewelry with them now that jewelry that's what they're saying that we have that burden of a nation over us so the word is qawm it means the jewelry of that qawm so what was the trick Samari used Samari told them that look you were fleeing and you're trying to escape for on and he actually used a religious trick on them he said that you are sinning because look at you you took this jewelry that belongs to other people it's an amana and you're taking it with you so you won't be able to get away from them unless you cast off this sinful burden right so he used a very religious argument on them so they cast off that gold jewelry and then he told them to make a pile of it so they all put it in a pile then that's coming in a little bit but then he molded all of that jewelry into a golden calf that there's just one more piece which which I haven't re- translated that part how he managed to do that and when exactly he did here when Sayyidina Musa salam came back to Sayyidina Harun salam right and he asked him this question that why did you not uh, why didn't you control them so there's a hadith of Sayyidina Rasulullah sallam where he specifically talked about this incident of Sayyidina Harun and Sayyidina Musa and their different reactions and their different reactions this hadith has been transmitted by Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal is a Musnad which is one of the earliest and greatest collections of ahadith Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal from the Tabai Tamin narrated by Sayyidina Abdullah ibn Abbas that he says that Sayyidina Rasulullah said and he made a point actually tafsir on this ayah that receiving information regarding an incident is not the same as witnessing the incident oneself so when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala informed Sayyidina Musa Islam at Mount Tur that this is what has happened and they're worshipping a calf he was not as affected but when he came back and he witnessed and saw with his eye this golden calf and a group of people still worshipping in front of him live and you can imagine, can you imagine Sayyidina Rasulullah going to Taif and then coming back to Makkah Makarma and then a group of Sahabi Kram are in front of him worshipping an idol can you, just, no, I mean, na'uzubillah, that, nothing like that ever happened and even in farthest realms of hypothesis that could never happen but imagine how Nabi would feel so what happened is next thing mentioned in this hadith is that when Sayyidina Musa had gone to the Torah uh, had gone to Montur Allah subhanahu had given him the tablets so inscribed parchment or inscribed on thin pieces of stone of the Torah when he came back and he eyewitnessed he saw this he dropped the tablets now the tablets were holy they're like Quran al Karim, right? And for Nabi Karim Sassam, he didn't receive Quran in written form, it was orally recited to him. But imagine if there was an original Quran, right, with written tablet that Jibreel and Jibreel brought. Imagine how sacred and holy that would be. And how we, even in Musaf, copies of Quran, we would never let it drop to the ground, right? So Sayyidina Musa was overwhelmed by this feeling 
of anger and grief at what he saw that he even dropped the tablets that he was holding such that they broke into they broke this is what the Nabi Yudhim that he cast them aside in utter shock causing he, he let them drop in utter shock causing them to break Allahu Akbar Kamira so it means that the Nabi's emotions are extremely and completely tied up with the Ummah this is what we've explained to you when we did Surah Tawbah Azizun alayhi ma'anittum that it weighs heavily on Nabi Kareem Sallallahu what it is that you do and this is the nature of the Anbiya this is the relationships of the Nabi with their Ummah and remember look how, how much Sayyidina Muslim loves Allah SWT he was hastening in love to receive that Torah how Allah Ta'ala we did this yesterday said that I love you and I selected you and how happy he must have been to receive that Torah even that he dropped because he was in such a state of shock and dismay and horror at what he saw his Ummah doing so we would not want that Sayyidina Rasulullah on the Day of Judgment when he sees us or he sees our book of deeds should enter such a state of utter and absolute grief and dismay and yes shock and horror as to what type of ummah deed did I have who is coming under my flag whose deeds am I being called to witness as a member of my ummah let's say that Rasulullah also forget right something or drop something or miss out on something that Allah Ta'ala wishes for him to have on that day Here in Surah Araf, which we had done last year, Allah SWT mentions this incident of dropping the tablets. وَلَمَّا سَكَتَ أَنْ مُوسَى الْغَذَبُ That when the anger abated, and literally means dropped, when it abated from Sayyidina Musa أَخَذَ الْأَلْوَاحِ الْوَاحِ is proof of love. That Sayyidina he picked up those tablets, right? Wafi Nuskatiha in the script that is written on those tablets was Hudan Warahma was the guidance and the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for those people who were fearing their Rabb. So he picks them up and it's clear that the it the Hidayah wasn't lost, right? So I wanna make this a Surah Araf verse number one fifty four. Now, what does Sayyidina Musa decide to do? So Sayyidina Musa was waiting that Sayyidina Musa will come and he will decide. So what did Sayyidina Musa decide to do? He decided, okay, what will he do to somebody? So this is verse 95 onwards now. So Sayyidina Musa addressed somebody that, oh somebody, what is it that you have to say? So somebody replied that I saw what they did not see. So I took a handful from the footprint of the messenger and I cast it into that object, means that gold calf that he made, as my nafs enticed me to do. What does this mean? Actually, Jibreel had come on horse and Samari saw that wherever Jibreel's horse footprints touched the earth, there was some spark, some, something that he noticed in the earth. So he went there and he would look for the footprints or the tracks and he took that soil. And when he was fashioning this golden calf, he mixed with it that soil that he had picked up 
And that soil, according to commentators, is what enabled it to be animated and make that sound. Otherwise, the gold calf does not move on its own, but it was some special feature of that soil on which the horse, uh, the, the, the footprints, the tracks left by the footprints of the horse of Sayyidina Jabir Islam had so much barakah in it. I mean, so much, whatever, power in it, life in it. And one can imagine, right? That just the soil, the earth soil, that was touched by the hoofs of the horse of Sayyidina Jabir Islam when he came in human form, have the power to breathe some level of life or sound into an otherwise inanimate object, then imagine how much barakah Sayyidina Jabir himself has. Right? And so this is also a proof in Qur'an al-Kareem. Right? That there is a concept of barakah. There is a concept of nisbat. Right? What does the soil have to do? Jibreel Islam did not deliberately direct any of his attention to the soil. The soil just happened to touch the hoof of the horse that was also touching. So what does it mean if you touch something and that something is touching something and that something is touching something and that something is touching a wonderful thing then you also get some of that wonder trickled in you. Hey, someday. Hmm? Yes. That is why in our deen you're supposed to be Tabai 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 Tabi Sahaba Rasulullah Sallallahu When you touch something which is touching something, which is touching something, which is touching something, which goes back to Sayyidina Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, then you get the same thing that happened with the soil. And then it breathes a little Allah Allah in you. Yes, if that soil can make the cow, make this, the artificial cow, make the sound that a real cow makes, so why can't that touch make the artificial insan make the sound that a true mu'min makes? Okay, so this is what Samari said. Right, so I saw what they did not see. I took a handful. means a handful of soil from the footprint tracks of the messenger. Messenger he means. And I cast it into the object as my nafs inside of me to do. This is also the difference between the people of khair and shar. The anbiya do what wahi is, what Allah Ta'ala entices them and inspires them to do. The other route is to do what your nafs inspires you to do. That's also an ishara by Allah Subhanahu Ta'ala. And when you put your nafs, what your nafs inspires you to do, as opposed to what the anbiya tell you to do, you can end up all the way in shirk and kufr and idolatry and disbelief. So what does now say to Musa Allah Ta'ala has revealed to him and then he decrees the punishment. What does he say? Go away. You are banished. Put it that way. You are banished. And what will happen to you? Your punishment in this life will be to wander this earth saying to people, don't touch me. Now what does this mean? Right? Again, you will not find any explanation for this anywhere in Quran. So you need the scholarly tradition. You won't find this in any Sahih Adith either. You need the tradition of the Mufassirun. So in fact, this is something that, you know, is a whole topic and... I will try to find some point to explain this to you in detail during this course, but there is a false hue and cry of follow the Quran and Sunnah only. You cannot follow the Quran and Sunnah only. You have to follow the Quran and the Sunnah and the ulama of Quran and Sunnah. It's like saying we're to follow medicine only. No, you have to follow medicine and the doctors who can diagnose what medicine you have and the pharmacist who can procure the medicine for you to take. There's no concept of following medicine only that fire all the doctors and fire all the pharmacists. I follow just medicine. 
So when people say follow the Quran and Sunnah only, there's a little deception in there. What they mean is, what they're actually saying is follow the Quran and the Sunnah and leave the ulama of Quran, leave the ulama and Sunnah and just follow any old auntie. <laughs> so it's not like that in our day. Right? So the way we put it is you have to follow the Quran, the Sunnah and the Islamic scholarly tradition of living that Quran and Sunnah. That's a big sentence. But we are the people who follow the Qur'an and the Sunnah and the Islamic scholarly tradition of living that Qur'an and Sunnah. That is called Ahlus Sunnah wal Jama'ah. The Jama'ah is a group. First the Sahabi Kram, then the Jama'ah Mufassirun, then the Jama'ah scholars of Qur'an and Tafsir, then the Jama'ah Muhaddithin, the scholars of Hadith, then the Jama'ah Fuqaha Mujtahideen, the scholars of Sharia. Then the Jama'ah of Awliya, that's also mentioned in Quran. The Jama'ah of Sadiqeen, Siddiqeen, the groups of the people of Taqwa and Piety. That is how we follow the Quran and Sunnah. So there are two ways to follow the Quran and Sunnah. Put it that way. It, that's the choice you have. The choice is not you want to follow the Quran or Sunnah or do you want to follow the scholars. No. The choice is do you want to follow the Quran and Sunnah as the Salihin and Siddiqeen and Ulama and Awliya, these four words are in Quran. As the Siddiqeen, Salihin, Ulama and Awliya have followed and lived that Quran and Sunnah for 1400 years. Or do you want to follow the Quran and Sunnah according to a method and an ideology and a practice of some contemporary living person? That's your choice. Now if that contemporary living person hides the fact that they're behind it and calls it just Qur'an and Sunnah, you should not be fooled by that. There's no such thing as just Qur'an and Sunnah. So it's like there's no such thing as medicine. There has to be a doctor and a pharmacist involved. And either you go to a trained doctor from a tradition of medicine or you go to somebody who is just prescribing on the basis of their own akal. That's the only choice you have. Alright? Here, so... I guess I did find that point, or I can explain it here, right? Oh yeah, so then, okay, so what is this punishment? So he's some, Sayyid Musa some told Samar, you will be walking around this earth saying, don't touch me. What happened was Allah Ta'ala decreed this punishment for him, that whomsoever he touched, even accidentally, incidentally, or if anybody brushed up or accidentally touched him, they would get a tremendous fever, an extremely high fever, like the plague almost. So he was just a walking, touching of the place. So obviously the first few people didn't realize, but then obviously, then people would realize. And it would happen to Samari also. So he, it's not like otherwise he probably wouldn't have cared, but it would happen to him also, this extremely debilitating fever. So he had to spend his whole life not having any human contact. Now, Depending on how you look at this, some of you may think that this is a very light punishment. Some of you may realize it's a very heavy punishment. Let's remember the crime. The crime was to, in the lifetime of a Nabi, delude the people who believed in that Nabi and to take them off the track of Iman, put them onto open and naked shirk, pure shirk. Right? It's a pretty major crime. Right? Here Allah subhanahu wa wanted to make him an ayah, a sign. A sign that this is what happens. This is so a, a living testimony and a reminder and an ibrat for the people that this is what happens when you guide people away. Right? Now Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't do that anyway. So another thing. After Nabiya Kareem Sasam, Allah Ta'ala does not 
miraculously punish any individual like that in a way that's known. For example, summary, everybody, it was a miracle of Allah that this happened, right? So that won't happen now. That won't happen now. But it shows a person that this is the punishment that befits, right? And this is the notion of social boycott, right? That's basically what's happening here, right? So yes, if there is somebody who is distract, taking believers off the path of Iman and bringing them to Kufr and Shirk, we will try to make da'wah to them. We will make du'a for them. We will be kind and gentle to them. But if they, if they do not relent, I'm not saying if they don't convert, if they don't stop misconverting others, right? Because that summary is not being punished for his own kufr, he's being punished for his misguiding others. If they insist on continuing to misguide and misinform and mislead others, then this is a possible, not necessary prescription, but a possible response that exists in Quran, then maybe we should stay away entirely from that person. We should stop having contact with that person. Because everyone who comes in contact with that person will be afflicted with a fever of kufr or a fever of sin. Right? Okay. Then, uh, then Sayyidina Musa Islam reminds him that, okay, look, even if we're not giving you capital punishment, but surely you have an appointment that you will never miss, means you will die. And when you die, there's an ishara, there will be another punishment. You will meet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then you will get the ukhrabi punishment, you will get the punishment in akhirah for what you did. As far as this world, the punishment is simply this, that you will be banished, you will be exiled, you will be, you will be put in such a way that people will boycott you and you will boycott them. And then Sayyidina Musa Islam, now look at your, this golden calf that you made, that you had made a deity and a god to worship. Look at that, of which you had be, become so devoted to. And then Sayyidina Musa Islam, we will burn it and scatter its ashes in the ocean. Now here some rationalists have raised the question that oh, if you say it was made of gold, well when you burn gold it doesn't create ashes, Right? Well, remember here, what they missed out was that soil was mixed into it, right? And that was a very special soil taken from the, foot, the tracks of the footprints of the horse of Satan, the, Jibreel, the angel Jibreel. So that soil gave that gold such an earthy texture that when you melt, burned it now, instead of being liquid molten gold, which is what happens when you eat gold today, it became something like you would call gold dust. That's what's being referred to as ashes because of that soil element that was put into it and therefore it, when they burned it, it became gold dust and then Sayyidina Muslim spread it into the ocean right? that's an answer from within the Quran there's another answer that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is all great again remember I told you it's completely rational once you have Iman you believe that there is an all powerful being who can do anything once you have that then it is completely rational that anything can happen because you believe in a being that can do anything. So it is completely rational that even without that soil explanation that some commentators have offered, still Allah Ta'ala could have made this gold burn in such a way that it could become ashes. Right? Alright, so here now then is the end of this story of Sayyidina Musa verse 98 Allah subhanahu wa says innama ilahukum Allah that indeed know that your deity is just one only one being of worship and that is Allah subhanahu wa ilaha illahu that that Allah subhanahu that there is no deity no God except for Allah 
And that ilm, the knowledge of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala encompasses and includes each and every single thing. Okay, so this is the final concluding verse where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes it clear, right, that uh, it refutes all of the acts of shirk and idolatry that the Bani Israel, certain members of the Bani Israel were doing, and that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows and will always know of each and every single such act. Alright, now verses 99 and onwards, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to talk about what happens to disbelievers on the Day of Judgment and what will be their emotional state. So number one in 1999, says that thus do we narrate to you the accounts of what has passed before. And indeed we have certainly given you a dhikr. We have certainly, yes, we have certainly sent a dhikr to you from our own self. And then we have bestowed upon you, here the you means you, Sayyidina Rasulullah, he sold some min ladunna from our own self, a dhikr. Dhikr here means in nasiha, an advice, a message. It here also means Quran al-Kareem. Some ulama have said it means the Quran plus even more knowledge and information. Man a'radha anhu whomsoever turns away from this dhikr. Then what will happen? فَإِنَّهُ يَحْمِلُ يَوْمَ الْقِيَامِتِ That they will carry an immense and enormous burden and weight on the Day of Judgment. What is that? They will carry the burden of turning away from Qur'an al-Karim. And then خَالِدِينَ They will remain in that condition of having that burden forever. In other words, if they are unbelievers, they will bear that burden of kufr for all of eternity. And indeed, it is a terrible and weighty burden for them to have on the day of resurrection. Now then, Allah suri That this will be the day when the trumpet, the horn, will be blown and sounded. And we shall gather all of the sinful, wrongdoers, unjust and oppressors on that day. And literally, it says that their eyes will be blue. Right? But by blue here, the ulama mentioned, and you can translate it loosely, as like sometimes in English we have an expression that a person's eyes go white with fear. But they don't literally go white. So in Arabic idiomatic expression, the blue here means that their eyes turn pale and ashen. When they witness the reality, the hakikat, they realize the reality of day, judgment, resurrection, hereafter, and they realize that they were... Un, they were they opted for disbelief in all of those things, and then it when it dawns on them, when the realization of haq dawns on them, then their eyes in English we may have said they go white, in Arabic they say the eyes turn blue. It means even the colors of the eyes will fade because they will be in such they will be so stunned at this realization, and especially because this realization, as you know, has come to them too late. So they will lose the color in their eye, so their eyes will turn blue, or they will be standing there blue-eyed, or we would say in English they would be standing there white-eyed. All right. Then they will whisper to one another. They will whisper to one another. What will they say? Some of them will say that you stayed, I mean you stayed, tarried, lingered on earth for only but ten days. And then Allah subhanahu wa say that نَحْنُ أَعْنَمْ that نَحْنُ أَعْنُمْ بِمَا يَقُولُونَ That we know better what it is that they say. And then إِذْ يَقُولُوا أَمْثَلُهُمْ When then the most exemplary of them, the most wise of them, the most sensible of them, what will they say? They will realize that no, 
It's just as if we were just there in the yoma. That no, we were just there. We stayed there for but a single day. But a single day. All right. In the beginning, when Allah Subhanahu wa Taala mentioned the dhikr, Allah Subhanahu wa Taala is mentioning this Quran that those who follow Quran al-Karim will attain salvation. And those who don't, then this passage is about that. Those who turn away from this, man a'radha, those who do i'raz from this, yani from Quran, will carry that burden of kufr. Now this trumpet being blown, it is blown more than once. The first time it is blown is to signal the sa'a or the hour or the end of time. And according to one hadith, this sound of the horn will be so terrifying that whatever creation is alive, whether it's on earth or anywhere in the universe, when they just hear that sound of the blowing of the horn or trumpet, that sound is so terrifying they will die because of the terror of that sound. That sounding of the horn will be the suburb for their death. It will be such a terrifying sound. They will die because of that. Allahu Akbar. And it comes another date that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala out of His mercy will preserve any mu'min from this torment. And that's another story but this whole many ahadith when you combine them and it's been our intention for many years may Allah ta'ala give us ability some year it won't be 2012 but some year to give you a systematic series of the alamat of Yawm al-Qiyamah and what happens all the way up to the moment when you will be resurrected and then what happens from then all the way up to the moment of when the, you, each one will enter, we will enter our Akhirah. But one of the things that is mentioned in Hadith is that the end of time will not come at when there will be any mu'min here. Sayyidina Rasulullah said in the Hadith in Sahih Muslim that the day will not come as long as there is anyone who says Allah, Allah. So the day will only come. Why? One reason the commentators mention is they won't have to hear that terrible sound of the horn on that day. Then it will be blown a second time. So the first is to wrap up everything. Then the second time it will be blown is to resurrect everything. The second time invites the angel Israfil who will be blowing this horn and trumpet. It's not literally the trumpet that people use today. It's a horn, trumpet like some instrument which will produce some sound. Right? A single, apparently terrifying, awe-inspiring, death-knelling sound the second time he will do it, everyone will be resurrected, right? And at that split second, instantly, it's not going to be a delay. All of a sudden, imagine in a split fraction of a second, the entire reality to come on a person. That all of the stuff that they heard about Dean was true, and their entire life, and for all of that to dawn on them, it will make their eyes pale and go blue. Now you understand? So this is the... Two blowing of the horns. Then, the second, which was the second metaphor, which is a reality, literally as well, but the second experience Allah Ta'ala describes of how they're overwhelmed, is they will talk to one another, right? They may see one of their fellow unbeliever friends that they remember, and they whisper, that, what, what was that, that, that life? Don't you, do you remember that? And somebody said, that was just, that was just ten days. Another one would say, no, no, that was just one day. Right? That was just one day. And then you remember we did this verse earlier in Bani Israel that they will be raised blind, dumb, and deaf. 
And I had suggested to you yesterday that this will be all together. Actually some other commentators have suggested that this will take place one by one. So for a time Allah Ta'ala will make them blind. Then they will see and then Allah Ta'ala will make them deaf. And then Allah Ta'ala will give them sight and hearing but then He will make them dumb. So that they can also hear. But through hearing they can also be tormented. Through certain sight and seeing things, seeing the fire of Jahannam, that's also part of their torment. So they actually won't be all three together. There will come stages on them one by one. They will be blind for a time, then the sight restored, they will be then deaf, then the hearing will be restored, then they will be made mute. Allah Akbar. So here obviously they're not mute. This is like comes up here, because one was thinking that if they're deaf, then how are they speaking? So this the first stages they're going to be, and that's coming also, the blind. Right? So at this point they are able to talk to one another. Alright. Now, in verse 105, Allah Taala is actually sending revelation to Sayyidina Rasulullah in response to some unbelievers who ask Sayyidina Rasulullah that look, you're saying there's a life after death and you're saying this whole world will be folded up. So look at these mountains. They're so massive. What is going to cause these mountains to go away? You're saying the whole world will go away. So this is the response that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent on Nabi Yaqeen on this revelation which is verses 1 and 5 onwards. That they ask you about They ask you about the mountains. Fakul, you should say to them you should say to them that what that my Rabb will remove them entirely. Literally you can say My Rabb will pulverize them and crush them into dust. Will smash them into smithereens. Right? And then Allah SWT will leave the earth as an empty, flat, barren plain on which you will not see, you will not see any, any roundness, any rolling, any protrusion. You won't see any topography, put it that way. There will be neither a curve nor an even place. It will be leveled so that there is no what in fantasy is called topography. There will be no altitudes and dips. Everything will be one flat level, leveled at the same altitude. So not only mountains, even slight ridges, sand dunes, everything will be leveled. Everything will be brought down. Everything will be crushed. And on that day, so now verse 108, on that day, the people, they will, they will follow the caller without distraction, without deviation. What does it mean? That they will have no choice now. There's no choice for them to disbelieve now. They will have to follow the color of the trumpet, the color to judgment, the color to hisab, they will be herded and they will have to go through each and every stage of the judgment. There's no choice on that day. And all voices will fade and will be lowered. <laughs> to all merciful Allah Subhanahu So here again, you have earlier we had showed you that in the community of Zakaria they would refer to Allah Ta'ala as Ar-Rahman. Then we showed you an ayah or verses, words in Quran, the adab of Ar-Rahman. Here, who are they going to, even though Allah Ta'ala is manifesting Himself in His mercy on that day of judgment, He is Ar-Rahman, these people will be in so awe, because they know they led the life of kufr, they exempted themselves from that mercy, due to the life that they chose to lead, so their voices will be lowered and humbled in front of Ar-Rahman. And the only thing you will hear is the sound of their footsteps, the shuffling of their feet, the pitter-patter of them being herded. That's the only sound that will be heard on that day. Then Allah SWT, next thing He says about the day of Yom, 
So this will be on that day that Shifa'a intercession will not be accepted on behalf of anyone to benefit anyone else illa except except certainly that shifa which will be accepted man from that person rahman that Allah rahman all merciful Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allows and has given that person izan and ijazah and permission to intercede wa radiyallahu qawla why? because Allah ta'ala is so pleased with what that person says Allah can you imagine some people like that? Radiyallahu anhum wa an. Allah Ta'ala says in Quran about Sahaba Ikram Shifa of Sahaba Shifa of Anbiya Shifa of Sayyidina Rasulullah All Sahabas from Sahih We taught you this once Ibn Taymiyyah Allah Ta'ala from his book on Aqeedah In that talk on Tawbah One of the sabbabs of being forgiven of sins will be Shafat Rasul Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and the Siddiqeen Salihin of this Ummah Allah Akbar Allah give you a glimpse just because Allah Ta'ala loves their words He's so pleased with them the words that come from their mouth are so pleasing to Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala Ajeeb there are people like that وَرَضِيَ qawla. there are people like that remember again our deen is the deen of people it's not just a deen of texts Anybody who tries to tell you follow just Quran and Sunnah, they want you to follow just plain texts. And they're trying to cut you off from all of the noble people that Allah has mentioned in Quran. Siddiqeen, Salihin, Ulama, Awliya. And such people who will be given permission by Allah Ta'ala to do Shafa'a. Why would you want to not take your deen in this life from such people when Allah Ta'ala has saved his Shafa'a on the Day of Judgment, intercession only for such people? So our deen is the deen of texts and people. It's just your choice. You want to take the understanding of those texts from the people that Allah Ta'ala has mentioned in Quran al-Kareem or you want to te- take your understanding of those texts from anyone and everyone. That's the only choice you can make. Alright? So there are such people like that. Allah Akbar. So that's another feature of the Day of Judgment. Here, why did these two verses come together? Because the point here is that there will be no shifa for unbelievers. There is no intercession for unbelievers. Allah will not allow that. Even Salihin Siddiqin will not be able to intercede for Kufar and Mushrikin. That is one place where there will be no intercession. That's elsewhere in Quran. We did this verse with you. Allah SWT said in the Quran that He can forgive each and every single thing on that day of judgment except for Kufar and Shirk. And by, mean, by saying he won't forgive it, means there will be no intercession either that will enable him to forgive it, or prompt him to forgive it. Right? Okay. I explained this to you before, this metaphor, Allah Ta'ala knows what came before them and what came after them. And Allah Ta'ala knows everything that they did in this world, and Allah Ta'ala knows the details of what life and future will be like for them. Right? In the Akhirah. وَلَا يُهِيدُونَ بِهِ إِلْمَا and they, on the other hand, Allah knows everything about them, but they, on the other hand, they're not able to encompass and ascertain the knowledge of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this, obviously, this is, everybody can understand, so no human being can know everything about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This has also been taken, uh, here let me read one or two verses and I'll come back and comment on this. And all of the countenances and faces of the people will be humbled before and will bow to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who is the al-hayy al-qayyum 
Al-Hayyukum, the ever-living and the self-existent. Self-subsistent and self-existent. وَقَدْ خَافَ مَنْ حَمَلَ ظُلْمَا But that person who has brought zulm on that day, who has brought wrongdoing, sin, injustice, unfairness on that day, then what will happen to that person? وَقَدْ خَابَ مَنْ حَمَلَ ظُلْمَا That person will certainly be lost and astray. That person will be certainly lost and astray. In other words, khaba means hopeless. That person will be without hope on that day. Lost and astray from the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa Lost all hope. And whomsoever had done good deeds, or who a mu'min, and was a mu'min. Second shart, right? So that ishara here, that what the good deeds of the unbelievers won't benefit them. Good deeds means not worship, obviously. They didn't worship, they didn't believe in Allah subhanahu wa Their worldly deeds and acts of kindness and charity will not benefit them in the akhirah. This is something that disturbs many mu'mini. So actually Allah subhanahu wa rule is, it's, very, it's actually very rational. That person who does something as an atheist disbelieving Allah subhanahu wa not for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa so it means they did it for the sake of some good in this world. They did it to bring about good in this world. So they had a sincere intention, they wanted to bring about khair in this world, so Allah Ta'ala will give them khair in this world. They did it to bring about good in this world. And even maybe many times good for somebody else, right? So Allah Ta'ala will give them good in this world. And sometimes Allah Ta'ala will give their somebody else's. Means that another way Allah Ta'ala can reward them is they helped such and so many families in Africa. Allah Ta'ala will help them and their families also. And maybe their descendants with the good of this world. Right? Because obviously atheists cannot bring somebody ukhrabi good. They can bring them worldly good through charity and philanthropy. And that person who did something not just for the good of this world but also for the good of the akhirah then Allah subhanahu will give them both rewards because that was your intention in the ma'adu bin niyat that you will get good in this world Allah will also put barakah in your life your risk, your health, help your family because you did charity and philanthropy but you also did it for the sake of akhirah so Allah will give you good in the akhirah so it's nothing for a person to feel sad about that why is it on the day of judgment Allah Ta'ala will not give reward to atheists for their philanthropy but the atheists had no niyat of such a reward the atheist denies that such a reward exists. The atheist has no expectation of such a reward. He's doing it purely or she's doing it only for this world. And if you ask me, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala didn't even have to give anything to them in this world. But Allah ta'ala is all merciful and is just. And His mercy and justice dictates that He will... His mercy and justice prompts Him to give them in this world. And that is absolutely just. Right? Okay, but for that person who had done amal salih and was mu'min, فَلَا يَخَافُ ظُلْمًا وَلَا حَذْمًا That person will not have any fear. No fear of them means they will not, they will not be shortchanged in any way on the day of judgment, right? That's what this means. They will not be wronged. They have no fear of injustice or injury. They have no fear of oppression or being shorted in any way on the day of judgment. Judgment. Alright. Now here one thing I wanted to mention in the middle. Here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has mentioned that 
I thought that's coming, but I'll just very quickly tell you, Turawakil, the Spantel is also mentioned, when the earth shall convulse with violent earthquakes, and the mountains shall be shattered to pieces and become like scattered dust. Similarly, in Surah Qariya, that we all know, Tukun al-Jibalukal al manfush means when the mountains will become like carded wool. So there are other places in Quran where Allah Subhanahu answered that question of the unbelievers. There these th- we can find these themes similar similar themes elsewhere in the Quran. Verses one thirteen and one fourteen, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions it's maybe the first time ever definitely the first time we're doing it this year. This concept of the Arabic Quran, وَكَذَلَكَ أَنزَلْنَاهُ قُرْآنًا عَرَبِيًّا Thus we have revealed this Quran, an Arabic Quran, a Quran that has been re- revealed and will be recited. That's what it means, right? Because Quran is Qira'ah, is also from Quran. So the Quran is revealed in Arabic and it is to be recited in Arabic. As opposed to, right, earlier scriptures that people, you don't even have them in the original scriptures because they didn't have this practice of reciting their scripture in the original language. So you cannot find a completely intact Aramaic, Syriac, or early Greek and Hebrew in, in its entire, in entirety, scripture, right, of the New Testament. Because those people never recited it in that original language. So over time, all they had ended up left was the translations. So it has been revealed and it is a recitation to be recited in Arabic. And we have detailed in that Qur'an al-Kareem the threats and warnings so that people may fear that outcome and be conscientious in that taqwa and also the promise and reward so that it may provoke in them understanding and mindfulness. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is exalted and He is al-Malik al-Haq He is the sovereign and the truthful You could translate this in two. You can. They're both translations: the sovereign, the truthful, or the truthful sovereign. Wala ta'adulun bil Quran, and Allah Taala says to say Nasim, do not recite the Quran al-Karim. Don't rush when you recite Quran. This is being told first and foremost to Sayyidina Rasulullah sallallahu but it's a general thing. Wala ta'adulun bil Quran. Don't hasten when you recite the Quran. Right? Before its revelation is completed to you, ilma, and you should make ilma, you should make dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that oh my Rabb increase me in knowledge. Okay, so first thing is that Quran al-Kareem is in Arabic. Why is this being mentioned? That's a self explanatory thing, right? That's clear. This is being mentioned to the kuffar of Quraysh in Makkah Mukarama. That look, Allah Ta'ala did a mercy on you and has sent Qur'an in your language, in the language you understand, that you can appreciate its eloquence. You should be able to realize even just that the language of Qur'an is a miracle. Just the language of the Qur'an is a miracle. So it means the Arabic part of Qur'an, very important, 
as far as this ayah goes, now there's something else that is true, but this ayah is only establishing that for those who know Arabic, the balagha and i'jaz, the miraculous nature and rhetorical style of Qur'an, is something also that can just bring you to iman. So the Arabic here is not being mentioned in terms of fahm or deep understanding, it's just being mentioned as a way to bring a person to iman. I'm not notwithstanding that obviously you need to be a scholar of Arabic to be a scholar of Quran. But here the Arabic part is not talking about scholar, Islamic scholarship of believers. It's talking about unbelievers who know Arabic should accept Iman because they know they see the miraculous na- linguistic nature of Quran al-Kareem. Alright? And certainly, right, people who learn and study Arabic deeply, which is really you know, not just tarjum of Qur'an, that's not going to do this. You have to learn the ulum, the linguistic sciences of Qur'an. Right, ulum al-Arabiya, which is sarf, nahu, balagha, you know, morphology, syntax, grammar, rhetoric. Then you will have even more yaqeen in Qur'an, because you will also be able to witness the linguistic miracle that is there in the Arabic recitation of Qur'an al-Kareem. Then this part that Allah Subhanahu told Sayyidina Rasulullah don't be hasty when reciting Quran until it is, don't rush reciting Quran until this revelation is completed. What happened was, was that Angel Jabril comes in hadith when the Angel Jabril used to recite to Sayyidina Rasulullah because this was one form of revelation. One was just inspiring on the kalb, one was the recitation part. So when Sayyidina Jabril used to do the recitation part, Sayyidina Rasulullah because he was ummi, he was unlettered, he would start reciting it back quickly because he didn't want to forget it he wanted to make sure he wanted to do this deed to verify it and Allah subhanahu is telling the Prophet no that you should not do that right you should not recite it while it's still being revealed that's basically the basic meaning of this verse right you will see also Allah subhanahu in surah number Surah Qiyamah, Surah 79, verses 16 to 19, Allah said something similar. La tuharrik bihi lisanaka lita'jalabi. That you should not move your tongue, means quickly, so that you are rushing in your recitation of it. Inna alayna jam'ahu wa qur'ana. Allah Ta'ala says, no, indeed it is Allah Ta'ala saying, indeed we have taken it incumbent as, as our responsibility to gather and collect Qur'an wa Qur'anahu and to recite Qur'an so don't worry Nabiya you don't have to worry that you have to quickly recite it because you have to instantly memorize and collect it no Allah Ta'ala says I'm going to do all of that I'm going to recite it I will make sure it is gathered collected preserved what? and then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and then once we have recited it, then you may follow in recitation. Once the recitation of Angel Jabir is completed, then you follow in recitation. Thumma and then, inna alayna bayana. And then Allah Ta'ala says that it will be our responsibility to explain it to you. Which also makes it clear, and this is why brilliantly Shaykh Ashraf Ali Ta'ala entitled his tafsir of Quran, Bayanul Qur'an. Because the Quran is something that requires bayan, not just tilawat and tarjuma. Right? And that bayan again is going to come from the scholarly tradition. And somebody who has just done Tilawat and Tarjama, then they sit and do Tilawat and Tarjama, and then they sit onward in Tilawat and Tarjama. Although there is a benefit in that, right? At least people go through the translation. But if you only stay within that circuit, 
then you never reach the bayan. You never get the understanding, the explanation, and a lot of the hidayah lies in the bayan, not just in the tarjima or just in the translation. All right. Now we're going to come to the story of Sayyidina Yeah, Sayyidina Adam alayhi salam. Oh, sorry. The Nabi Yisrael made this very important du'a. وَقُلْ رَبِّ زِدْنِي ilma. So this is another place uh, where Allah SWT is sharing with us the du'as that He has taught the Prophets to make to Him. Now imagine, right? Allah SWT wants to give the Prophets everything. So obviously the du'as that Allah SWT teaches the Prophets to make are going to be golden and special. So we should make use of this du'a. Second is that clearly that there is an ilm beyond the kirat of Qur'an. There is an ilm beyond that. And that is also part of ulum in And that is this ayah is a hujjah for the sunnah. That's why we say we follow Qur'an and sunnah. Because there are some people out there who say we just follow Qur'an. And then they try to confuse you by hadith. And again that's a whole other lecture that we have given many times. And we'll have to get our boys to put it up on the map for you. Right? But to understand the sympathies Allah SWT is saying, right? So somebody says, a Muslim says to you, that no, I just want to follow Qur'an, that's it. You should tell them that, look, Allah SWT told Sayyidina Rasulullah that very Nabi upon which Qur'an is being revealed and recited, that Nabi Akhlees said, you must make dua to Allah Taala, Rabbi zitni ilma, increase me in even more mazid ilm. So if just Qur'an is not sufficient for that Nabi upon whom Qur'an was revealed, how can Ummati of that Nabi say just Qur'an is sufficient for me? Right? So no, we want that same ilmin. Obviously, guaranteed, when Nabi Yisrael made this du'a, Allah Taala granted this du'a, Nabi Yisrael got more ulum he was the Kamil Mukammal Nabi, he shared that ulum of Hidayah with us, so for us to be on Hidayah, to be Muhtadun, to be Hidayat Yahta, we need that ilm as well. And we should make the same dua. We should make the same dua. Okay. And yes, unfortunately, for much of present company, this dua does not apply to our university studies. This dua applies to Ulumuddin, Ulumul Wahi, Ulumul Nabuwa. Alright? Okay. Now we come to the story of Sayyidina Adam salam, And this is something, if you remember, I did this in very deep detail. This is my practice to do it in deep detail. When it comes in Surah Baqarah, we actually did this whole passage. We did all of the passages, Surah Baqarah, Surah Araf, here, coming with the later, it came in Surah Bani Israel, here, later in Quran also. So again, we're going to go through this a bit quicker, and those who want can, you know, again, listen to the earlier parts of the tafsir that are available for you on the website. The distinctive parts that Allah Ta'ala has, the distinctive elements of the story that Allah Ta'ala has placed in the context of Surah Taha, we will concentrate on that. Maybe I'll give a very, I may summarize a few things as well. So this is now verses 115 to 123. Verses 115 to 123. Alright. And then indeed before we had an ahad, we had a commission with Sayyidina Adam from before. But, 
that he forgot. This is a very important word here for nasiya, nasiya. In Arabic, there's one word called nisyan, and there's another word called isyan. Nisyan means to forget. Isyan means to sin. Nisyan means to forget. Isyan means to disobey. Right? So what did Sayyidina Adam do? He did not sin. He did not disobey. It's Allah Ta'ala's right to characterize the action. And when Allah Ta'ala in Quran says, Vanasiya, means that Sayyidina Adam forgot. Okay? He forgot. And we're going to come, it's going to come right now. What is it that he forgot? And second thing Allah says, وَلَمْ نَجِدْ لَهُ أَزْمَى So Allah Ta'ala says, and what did, not that I didn't find taqwa in him, not that I didn't find iman in him, I didn't find azm in him. Azm means steadfast resolve. Azm, obviously steadfast, when you're steadfast and resolved about something, you don't forget it. And if there's something that you 100% believe and you obey, but you didn't have steadfast resolve about it, then you may slip and forget it. So both of these words are making it clear. Lack of azm is not sin, and nisyan is not sin. Okay, now Allah Ta'ala goes back to the original story where the Qunaz and Malaika just to do the Adama, and when we, you know, Allah Subhanahu Ta'ala told the angels to do sajda to say the Adam then all of them did sajda except Iblis, who refused and denied to do so. So then we said to Adam Salam, no, inna hadha adumun laka wa zawjika that know the Adam Salam that this Iblis is an enemy to you and to your wife. And if you remember, I did this to you last year, at this point, said Adam Salam, like, oh, wife? <laughs> At this point, Sayyidina Islam does not have a wife. He doesn't know about a wife. He's just been created. He's a newborn baby. He was created in adult size. Right? So this is also a little ishara from Allah Taala that we have some other things planned for you. Right? So some of our young men may feel the same way. Right? May Allah Taala give all the young men and women who are, or any age men and women who remain unmarried a noble and pious spouse who will bring them and they can bring one another closer to the Amin. So here Allah SWT says that he is an enemy to you and your wife and what is it that he's going to do? Allah SWT even makes it clear that what is that enmity that he's going to do? He's going to فَلَا يُخْرِجَنَّكُمَا مِنَ الْجَنَّةِ That he is, what is he going to do? Allah so let him not he should never be allowed to make the two of you, Allah is using the dual, the two of you leave and exit Jannah. Because if that would happen, then you would be miserable. You would be unfortunate. But you would be unfortunate. How does he put it? You would be in trouble. Okay. Inna laka la Okay. Now, Allah Subhanahu is saying. In what sense would you be, one of the ways you would be unfortunate is that one of the things about Jannah is that you will never be hungry, you will never starve of hunger here, nor will you ever go bare, nor will you ever be unclothed. This is very important. So what's going to happen in Jannah? You will, be, you will never be hungry, nor will you ever be unclad, or you will be unclothed, never will you be bare. means it's a blessing of being in Jannah. It's very important to remember because this is going to be one thing that we're going to use to refute certain modernist misinterpretations of this verse. I'll come back to it. And the next thing, I 119, that you will never be thirsty here, nor will you ever suffer from the heat of the sun. 
Alright, these are some things that will happen automatically in Jannah. That's what Allah SWT is saying to Sayyidina Al-Islam. These will things happen, your clothing, food, protection from heat of sun, etc. Okay. What 20? shaitan. But then, maybe millions of years pass, after a long, ages and ages pass, and then this incident happens. Shaitan whispers into Adam Islam. What does he whisper to him? He says, He says, Ya Adam, O Adam Islam. Shall I show you to the tree of eternal life? Tree of eternal life. And such a kingdom and dominion that it will never decline and fade, it will never weaken or subsist. So then, minha. then the two of them, two means now Sayyidina Adam al-Islam and Sayyidatuna, Sayyidatuna Hawa radiallahu they both ate from that tree. First Adam al-Islam and then Hawa they ate from any the fruit of that tree. Fabadatahuma so'atuhuma. Now what happened is when they ate from that tree, then their mm, their private parts became disclosed. Became they became unclad. They became bare. Some modernists following the biblical narrative have suggested that actually there was no tree and there was no fruit. This is just a metaphor, right? This is just a metaphor that they had relations with one another. And actually Allah Ta'ala didn't want them to have relations because lust is some type of sin. And when they had those relations, their clothing came off. And Mr. Ramdi also is of this position. This position is clearly against even just this few ayat that I've done for you can clearly refute this position. Number one, Allah Subhanahu earlier called Sayyidatul Hawarat the Zawj of Sayyidatul Adam So there is nothing illicit about having relations even in Jannah with one's wife. That's another story that if at the very end of that series we can even tell you the steps of what happens to the people who make it into Jannah. Right? But that is nothing, something that is illicit or unlawful in Jannah or on this earth. Second, what was the waswasa that shaitan said a waswasa? That waswasa has nothing to do with physical lust. Tree of eternity. It's eternity. And that is what made Sayyidina Adam Laysan forget. And you remember I did this with you thoroughly last year and I've done it for you once before when we did Dars of Surah Baqarah in defense. That Sayyidina Adam Laysam loved Allah SWT and loved being in Jannah because it was close to Allah SWT and one shaitan told him that this tree will enable you to be in this blessed place of Jannah for eternity and you will have his line and you will have kurb with Allah SWT for eternity so in that overwhelming desire that desire, not lustful desire in the overwhelming desire of love for Allah SWT and wanting to stay in Jannah for eternity, he forgot. He forgot that this is Allah, Allah had told me not to eat from this tree. Right? And it's clearly that he forgot because Allah Ta'ala told him he's your enemy. Right? So obviously if Allah Ta'ala tells Sayyidina Al-Sahan that this is your enemy, when that person shows up, Shaitan shows up, Iblis shows up, obviously Sayyidina Al-Sahan will not listen to anything he says. But the possibility of being close to Allah Ta'ala for eternity was just so appealing, he forgot that Allah Ta'ala told him this is the treacherous enemy. He forgot that Allah Ta'ala told me not to eat from this tree. And he ate 
from the tree for that reason. And the kingdom in which there is no weakness is not referring to kingdom on earth. There's no concept of earth for him yet. He meant this kingdom that you will get to live in eternity near Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and this Jannah, which Sayyidina Al-Masam had experienced by now, never fades, right? He's been living for ages and ages and ages, unknown to us how long he'd been there. But this he'd experienced that it never faded, right? When they ate from there, why did their private parts get exposed? Not because they committed a physical act of lust, but because what we just told you up there is that in the blessing of Jannah was that they remain closed by eating from the tree and they he did what Allah Ta'ala told them not to do so he was no longer entitled to those blessings of Jannah so the clothing was stripped away from him because he ate from the tree not that the clothing was removed because he was engaged in an act of lust and that's also established just a few eyes above where we showed that Allah Ta'ala says that you will never be unclad here, right? I mean, if you want to be literacy with that, that's a contradiction in Quran. Allah Ta'ala said, you will never be unclad. And here you're saying three ayahs down, the sayah says, all of a sudden unclad. So no, it meant as an entitlement of Jannah. And now you're not entitled to Jannah. Now you're going to be sent, and it's coming, now you're going to be sent down to earth. Right? And we also mentioned to you last year, for those of you who weren't here last year, that don't think that, no, that there's... Islam does not believe in the doctrine of fallen man or original sin. Because Allah Ta'ala originally had always said, That from the very outset, even before Sayyidina Allah was created, the purpose of creating him was to send him to earth. So it's not like humans were supposed to live in Jannah, but Adam and Eve sinned, and because of their sin, then the doctrine of the fallen man. No, man was intended for earth. Alright, so this, all of these Christian concepts are not are, are part of are part of that Christianity which our deen teaches has been corrupted part of the teachings of the Bible that have been misunderstood right our doctrine is a doctrine of original purity original fitra in fact original love for Allah SWT, original desire for good for Allah SWT, and this is not last thing about this part this is not a sin it's nisyan why are we saying it's not a sin? Because all of the Anbiya are masum. It means all of the Prophets are free and pure from sinning against Allah SWT. Alright? But yes, a Prophet may have a lapse and forget. And this is an incident that also happened with Sayyidina Rasulullah Wasallam. Some of you may have heard of this. That the Prophet and the Sahaba Ikram had stopped somewhere. And it was late night. And... Uh, made Sayyidina Bilal stand watch and it was his job to wake the Prophet up and Sahaba for Fajr but Sayyidina Bilal himself fell asleep so when Sayyidina Rasulullah woke up he woke up when the rays of sunlight fell on his cheek and that means sunrise is taking place time of Fajr is gone so then when he woke up he asked Bilal Yo Bilal I asked you to wake us up and Sayyidina Bilal, Ashana, wise Bilal, he said, that that same being who caused you to sleep caused me to go to sleep. Right? So what happened? That was a slip. That was a nisyan. You can't say otherwise missing prayer is a sin. Right? But Sayyidina Ashana, it's viewed as a nisyan. The Prophet cannot sin. So the Prophets can have nisyan. And this is the first example of that of Sayyidina Adam alayhi salam. Alright? Okay, so, but they became bare 
So I stopped this over here. We're in the middle of verse 121. So their private parts became apparent to them. They became unclad, they became bare. So then they began to sew together leaves from Jannah to wear. What does it mean? It means their libas before was not musnui. They weren't wearing their own apparel before. Otherwise, why would they need to sew it? They would just pick it up and put it on, right? No. It was a, I don't want to use the word magical, but I mean, it means ma- it was a non sababi clothing. Do you understand? Allah subhanahu was clothing them. It was the barakat of Jannah that they were clothed. They lost that. And it's their haya. Now they have to make libas for themselves. They don't have an automatic Jannah clothing on them. So they had to take down some leaves and start sewing it. Right? They never did that before. They didn't have masnui libas. They didn't have fabricated manufactured clothing before. They were wearing the automatic libas of Jannah. Understand? Right? So that's the next part. So then they began to sew together leaves from Jannah uh, to wear. And they covered themselves with that. Then Sayyidina Adma alayhi salam. Okay, now you have this term. Alright. Now, after all this, then you have this word, which would be translated as Sayyidina Adam Islam disobeyed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, right? And he fell into error. Okay. Now, here, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is using this term asa here. Remember I told you that there is lovely mana and istilahi mana. Then Arabic there are words that have a dictionary definition and then there are words that are used as a term. So the Sharia term for what Adam Islam did that came first for Nasiya Nisyan. So Istilan it was a Nisyan. But Lohitor for technically speaking he did disobey Allah's command not to eat from that tree. So here the word wa'asa is being used in its lexical sense that yes, it was an act of non-compliance with an instruction of Allah subhanahu Here, asa does not mean isyan sin. It means that he did not comply with Allah subhanahu instruction and therefore he made it. And thereby doing so, he made a mistake. That's how you would translate this. Alright? Okay. Thummastabahu But then, and look what happened. Then Allah subhanahu chose his Rabb chose him. And then Allah SWT accepted his Tawbah. And then Allah SWT gave him Hidayah. Okay? Okay. Now, so that makes it clear that this next part, that Allah SWT said that both of you should go down. It clears that this is not Allah Taala's anger because what's happened before, he's been selected, means as in now his Nabuat is made manifest. This is something called Izhari Nabuva. He was a Nabi, but it wasn't manifest because in Jannah there was nobody to be a Nabi to. Even Amma she also was seeing Allah SWT directly. But now because he's going to go to earth, so now his Nabuwa is made manifest, is made Zahir. And then Allah SWT has, has relented to him. Fataba has relented to him. Means overlooked that non-compliance and that falling into error. Right? And Allah has given him Hidayah. So clearly the next line is not a punishment. The next line is just the next stage in Sayyidina Adam Alayhi life. Again, his realization of his ultimate destination is he has to come to earth. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said to them that now both of you should descend, get down from, go, go down or descend from Jannah. Right? And where should they go? That now Jami'ah, you, all of you, means this includes Shaitan, 
that all of you will be enemies to each other. What does it mean that now there will be the Bani Adam al-Islam and there will be Iblis and Ishayatim? So both these parties are now going to go to earth and both will have progeny. How Iblis has progeny, Allah knows best. We don't know information about that. Sayyidina Adam al-Islam, Sayyidina Habarudun, they will have progeny, Bani Adam, right? And that you will be enemies to one another, right? Now, those of you who know, you would know that not all jinn are shayateen. They are all even mu'mineen jinn. They're even awliya jinn. Yes. Yes. But there will be some jinn who choose to follow the path of shaitan. So that group of jinn are called shayateen in the plural. The minions of shaitan. They will be the enemies to Bani Adam salam. So this, that you will go down, you will be enemies and hostile to one another. But then Allah Ta'ala says, right, that فَإِمَّا Literally, if ever guidance should come to you from me, but it's obvious, it's a rhetorical if. It means actually, and certainly and surely, when and indeed that hidayah comes to you from me, then فَمَنِ اتَّبَى that whomsoever and every person who follows my hidayah, yani Allah Subhanahu hidayah, fala yadillu, then that person will never ever go astray, wala yashka, nor will they ever be miserable or unfortunate. Okay, so golden rule simply is that Allah Subhanahu mentioned something to Adam Islam. That yes, you're going to go down, Shaitan's going to go down, they're going to be enemies, but you're going to get one special thing. That can make you navigate this enmity, that can save you from the enemy, that's called Hidayah. So, Hidayah is the most important thing, right? That's why it's the first dua we make, Ihtina Siratul Mustaqim. And who, it's so simple, you follow the Hidayah, you will be saved from the hostilities and enmities of Shaitan. And you don't follow the Hidayah, you won't be saved that way. Right? Okay. Alright, one point to make over here is that when Allah Subhanahu wa says if there ever should come Hidayah, so like I told you that is an Ishara, clear indication that there will be Anbiya, scriptures, right? So somebody was asked the question, okay, for all of human history, Hidayah came in the form of the coming of one Nabi after the other after the other. Hidayah came in the form of one revelation, then another, then another. And now we're living in the age and era of Khatam and Nabiim and Mursaleen and the age of Quran al Kareem. And yes, Deen of Islam is the last and final religion. Nabi Kareem Sallallahu is the last and final prophet and messenger absolutely in every sense. And Quran al Kareem is the last and final book, scripture, revelation absolutely in every sense. Hidayah maintains. Hidayah is going to maintain on two things. And today, it's really, it's the theme of today I think. Right, number one, the Hidayah will maintain because the Quran is the same Quran. So you have the legacy and the text of Hidayah. Sunnah Nabi Kareem Sallallahu and his Seerah and his Hayat Tayyibah. You have the legacy encapsulated once again in text of that part of Hidayah. And you have people. This is what Nabi Kareem Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said. Al-Ulama So Sahih Hadith. That some of you we taught this text. Imam Ibn Rajab Al-Hanbali wrote a whole commentary on this one Hadith. And we taught it entirety to some of you, but we have to teach you over there. Right? So what does this mean? That now the Hidayah, the people Hidayah, there won't be more prophets. It's another aspect of Allah Ta'ala's Hidayah. There won't be any more prophets that come. 
So the hidayah in this ummah is going to take place through the people. And that's why Allah Ta'ala mentions these categories of mu'mineen in Qur'an. I cannot emphasize this point to you enough. Because anybody who tries to take you away from those categories of people is taking you away from Qur'an. Taking you away from Qur'an. That we just follow Qur'an and Hadith. What does that mean? If you're saying, I just follow Qur'an and Hadith and not ulama, not awliya, not siddiqeen, not sadiqeen, not salihin, Because you say, I don't follow people, I don't follow anyone. You're against Qur'an. Because <laughs> the Qur'an is filled with these words. Filled, not occasional. Filled with these words. And again, like we tell you many times when you recite Surah Fatiha, you make dua to Allah Ta'ala. Surat al-Ladina an'amta alayhim. So mean Surat al-Mustaqim is a path of people. Not even a path of texts. A path of people. And we're asking Allah Ta'ala to give us hidayah to those al-Ladina an'amta alayhim. Right? So that, that hidayah will last all the way until the end of time. Okay. Uh. In this verse, there's an interesting point in the Arabic, which I forgot to mention to you. Let me just go back to the Arabic. Okay, this verse number 117. فَقُلْنَا يَا That Allah said, إِنَّ هَذَا That indeed, this Iblis 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 Mardud, Iblis Rajim Adumu Laka is an enemy to you Walizawjika and to your wife Yani Hawa Radiyadana Fala Yukrijanakuma and it should not ever pass that he removes the two of you Minal Jannati Fatashka causing you singular Adam salam to be shaki, to be miserable and fortunate. So the nukta here in Arabic is that this should also be in the dual, right? That it should not remove the two of you from Jannah, causing the two of you to be unfortunate. But Allah Ta'ala said that not cause the two of you to leave Jannah, causing you one Adam salam to be unfortunate. This is the answer in the Quran to also the Christians and the modernists who follow them and say that actually it was a mahava. And or stereotype, and she ate the fruit first. No, Sina Adam Islam did the nisyan, and that was already up there. Fanasia, that was also singular. Sina Adam Islam did the nisyan, so it's not her fault. So you cannot use this right to blame all women that women have from the very beginning led man astray. No, actually, it was Sina Adam Islam. It was not Sayyidatana Hawarbadiyallahu Anha. All right. And another meaning of this also is that more generally that the husband is responsible for the wife. And if the husband makes a mistake, right, uh, then the consequence, because the consequences are affecting both, that the two of you will be removed from Jannah, the consequence comes to both. So, in fact, there's more responsibility on the man, more responsibility on the husband, alright?
Then another co- the commentators have mentioned about this one. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions the blessings of Jannah. So what did he mention? That you will never be hungry. You will never have lack of clothing. You will not be thirsty. And you will not be exposed to the heat of the sun. That is referring to shelter. So actually this roti kapra makan. Yes. The food, clothing and shelter. That is actually Quranically. Literally I'm in a serious note. Has Quranically been established as the basic needs of humanity. And so we want to. Nabi Akhtar mentioned this in Hadith. So in, a, in a, an authentic hadith in the Sunan of Tirmidhi, Sayyidina Uthman radiallahu narrates that Sayyidina Rasulullah said that the Bani Adam has a right to three things only on this world. And that is shelter to live in, number two, sufficient clothing to wear, and number three, a piece of bread and water, which meant basic food and drink. So this is what Nabi Akhtar said, that as far as our entitlement on earth is just to these basic three things, right? And... Once, this is a saying of a Sahaba, although it is in the Sahih of Muslim, but those of you who are properly trained in Hadith know that there are Athar and sayings of Sahaba in the books of Hadith as well. Who is this Sahaba? Sayyidina Abdullah ibn Umar, And once some people came to him and they were presenting themselves as if they were poor, or they were, I wouldn't want to say claiming, but they, they viewed themselves to be poor. They generally thought that they were poor. So they said that to Sayyidina Abdullah bin Umar al-Nur. So he asked him a question. He said, number one, he said, do you have a wife from whom... He asked that person a question. Do you have a wife from whom you find comfort? And so the Mufassirun have taken this hadith from Muslim and said, well, that's another thing Allah Ta'ala mentioned about heaven. That they had a zawj. So actually there are four things you need in life. Yes, you need wife. Yes, and you need basic food and drink and you need basic shelter and you need clothing. Right? So, that's the first question Sayyidina asked him, do you have a wife from whom you can take comfort? And he said, yes. Then Sayyidina asked that person, do you have a home to live in? He said, yes. Then Sayyidina asked him, then, then you are from the wealthy people. You are from the wealthy people. He said, if you have these two things, you have a wife and a home, don't consider yourself poor, you are from the wealthy people. Alright? Then, this is a bit ironic, but then the person added themselves, I even have a khadim. <laughs> He said, I even have a khadr. Right? So then, Abdul Ibn said, then, then you are from the kings. Then you are from the kings. So this society, I mean, you know, this is very Pakistani thing to have khadam. Right? So if you have a wife, and you have a home, and you have a khadim, in, in a saying of Sahaba, but transmitted by Imam Muslim, Rehmullah Ta'ala, as a commentary on another hadith in that chapter, Sayyidina Abdullah bin Umar radiallahu ta'ala said, that anybody who has a wife, a home, and one khadim, he's like a king. And if you just have a wife and home, you don't have the khadim, you're still like the wealth, you're the wealthy. The wealthy. So it means that the real wealth in life, right, is not, you know, bundles and bundles of cash. It's these things. This is what Allah Ta'ala has viewed. And when Allah Ta'ala says He sends risk and provision on mu'mineen, Allah Ta'ala wasn't trying to say this capitalist notion of accumulation of wealth, Allah wants to saying wife, shelter, clothing, and food and drink. That is the risk Allah Ta'ala says, and that is what we should be grateful for. And that's what we should have sugar for. Alright, now 124 to 128. So this is moving on now. This, this has completed the passage pertaining to Sayyidina Adam alayhi salam. So verse 124 
And that person who stays away, Allah Ta'ala says, from my dhikr, yani from Qur'an al-Kareem and from the admonishments and advices that I reveal unto Sayyidina Rasulullah So anybody who does that, so that person will have a wretched existence. And on the Day of Judgment, right? وَنَحْشُرُهُ يَوْمَ الْقِيَامَةِ أَعْمَى And we will raise him up blind. So that's what I told you, the stages. that the, I told you it was coming, so the first stage is blind. So so he will, that, that person who was a disbeliever in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and then was raised blind, and we did this before, because he was spiritually blind to Allah ta'ala's commands in this world, he was raised physically blind on that day. He will say to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, رَبِّ لِمَا حَشَرْتَنِي أَعْمَى That, oh my Rabb, and he will say, what will he say? He will say that, uh, oh my Rabb, why is it that you have raised me up blind? Right? When I used to be able to see, when I used to be able to see. Right? And this person who has spent their whole life in Kufr is just easily calling Allah Ta'ala my Rabb on the Day of Judgment. Because again, like I told you, the reality, the realization of reality will be inescapable for them on that day. They cannot operate on Kufr on that day. There's not an option for them now. They have to be like that. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, well that our verses came to you and you used to deny them. Literally it's fanasitaha, you forgot them. You neglected them, right? You put them on the side. You cast them on the side. And just like that today you will be forgotten. Allahu Akbar. Just like you forgot us in the world, as completely as you forgot us to the point of denial, you will be forgotten. And we will be forgotten. It's a portent of the eternality of Jahannam. That they will be put in Jahannam and then the lid will be put on Jahannam and then they will be forgotten. They will be forgotten. So much so that yes, there will come a time that even the people of Jannah will forget those people that they knew as acquaintances or colleagues or whatever or historical figures that they had read about in history books on this world they will eventually also forget them they will be forgotten so it's a very powerful verse just like that on this day you will be forgotten and one way you are forgotten is I neglect just like you neglected me I neglect to give you the power of sight because the power of sight is also bestowed by we don't have innate ability to do anything Every ability we have has been given to us, bestowed by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So they're neglected. And it's also an emotional punishment, because when a person is blind, you feel as if, because you, you can't see. see. And that's the worry, that I can't see people, people may neglect me. How do I know if anybody's looking at me, I'm blind. Is anybody's attention towards me, I may be forgotten. So then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَكَذَلَكَ نَجْزِي مَنْ أَسْرَفَ And thus do we punish and thus to be give recompense to those who go to Israf, who transgress the bounds, leave the boundaries of halal, ver- venture out in Ro- and roam recklessly in the area of haram. <laughs> and then they don't believe in the signs and verses of revelation of their Rabb. <laughs> and indeed the punishment of the hereafter is ashaddu is more agonizing, more intense, more severe, wa abka and more lasting, everlasting, unending. Then verse one twenty eight, and were they not guided okay, were they not guided by the fact that they saw that how many generations and previous nations we had destroyed before them, and whose settlements 
and places they are wandering and they are coming and going. Their deeds are definitely signs for those who are endowed with perception and understanding. Alright? And this last part is, uh, you know, that the reality of death was something that was with them all the time. They saw people dying around them. They read in books of history of entire civilizations that had died, communities that had died. How could they not prepare for death when the reality of death and the inevitability of death was something that they confronted day in and day out? Some have mentioned this, uh, the first verse that I recite, we did 124 about leading a narrow or straightened life, that some mean in this world that they will have a tough time in this world, but other commentators say no, that that means there's a punishment in the grave, that they will have a narrowed life and they will have a constricted grave or a constricted cover. Because obviously not all the kuffar, materialistically speaking, have a narrow life. Others have said, no, it does refer to life of this world, but not materialistically, spiritually. So in terms of spiritual barakat or spiritual itmanan, it's very narrow, constricted, limited, almost nothing for them. Right? There's nothing to do with... Them. Either way, the point being is it does not... This verse is not referring to material. So it cannot be raised and objected that the Quran says this and look, they're leading wide, you know, widely enjoying life. The Quranic Allah Ta'ala here in the Quran is not referring to uh, material uh, comfort of living. Verses 129 to verse 132. If it not been for a kalima, a word or decree that issued from Min Rabbika, from your Rabb, Lakana Lizamum wa Ajalum Musamma, then indeed an appointed and if it was not for a term and a time that had already been appointed, then indeed what they want, that punishment that they ask about would certainly have come. This what I mean, happens was that there was a unbeliever, the Mushrikeen were asking this of the Prophet that they'll say, Okay, this punishment that you say will come upon us, why is it gonna come? Let it come now if it's going to come. They would say that mockingly. Look at their again Jura'ah and their arrogance. And Allah SWT is responding that look, Allah Ta'ala decreed for you when He wants that punishment to come. And like I told you again, for both the Ummah but also even anyone who was Mukhatab of Nabi Akrim does not get that collective punishment. Allah Ta'ala decreed it for them later, right? So this is an answer to those mushrikeen who are mocking Sayyidina Rasulullah. And then at 1 30, then Allah SWT consoles and counsels to tasalli and tells Nabi Islam how to react to this fasbir alama yuqulun that you should just patiently endure what it is that these people are saying and meanwhile wasabbih bihamdi rabbik and you should glorify and celebrate the praises of your rabb and want you to do that qabla tulu ishamsi before the sun rises wa qabla ghurubihan before the sun and before it sets wa min ana in layli and then you should do it from at the uh, and hours of the night or the times of the night. فَسَبِّحْ وَأَطْرَافَ nahari, And you should also do it at the ends of the day. لَأَلَّكَ تَرْضَى So that you may become تَرْضَى You may become content and pleased and happy. And don't stretch, don't strain your eyes or st- literally don't stretch your eyes. Don't stretch your eyes towards uh, the glamour and splendor of the worldly life. 
that we have allowed some of the people to enjoy and Allah Ta'ala mentions is one of those things right and their azwaj and their wives okay as we might test them in that this all of this may be a test for the disbelievers rather you should fear what is wa but whatever risk Allah Ta'ala himself has given you your Rabb has given you that is better for you and that is more lasting right two ways you could translate this word azwaj one is that don't look at them and look at their wives and another way is that don't look at what we have given certain azwaz, certain groups of them to enjoy and to savor and last wa'mur ahlaka bis salah and you should enjoin salah on your family and your kinfolk mustabir alayha and you should yourself Nabiya Kareem remain steadfast on it and this command is to everybody in the Ummah that everyone should direct and enjoin their Ahl to pray while themselves being constant and steadfast on it. And if a person does that, then what does Allah Subhanahu say? La nas'aluka rizqa. Allah says, we do not ask you to create your own risk, manufacture your own risk. No, nahnu narzukuka. We will ourselves sustain you and bestow nourishment and sustenance on you. And the best reward and the best conclusion and best result is going to be attained on the basis of taqwa, unconsciousness and piety for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Alright. So, first thing, I mentioned the story that Allah ta'ala is answering to the disbelievers who would ask that question. The salawat are mentioned here in this ayah 130. So, before the rising of the sun, that is obviously Fajr. Before it sets, that is Asr. During the hours of the night, that's definitely Isha. And some have taken Maghrib and Isha both to be there. Because instead of saying... Um, how can I put this to you? ishamsi is a single thing. Before sunset. So, that's one Salah. But the way Allah Ta'ala phrased the Arabic Ana illayli and during the hours of the night suggests a multiplicity and in Islam the night starts in Maghrib in this sense when you're talking about looking at the sun, right? For calculating the Hajjad night starts at Isha because the validity of the Hajjad is conceived of at Isha time when you're calculating one third of the night you're going to start from Isha, right? From Isha to Fajr but when you're talking about solar cycles you're talking about the sun night starts at Maghrib Right, Layl starts at Maghrib so during the hours of the night has been understood to mean both Maghrib and Isha and then Wa'atraf in Nahar and then the ends of the day uh, sorry, before the sun sets uh, and the ends of the day that is also used again to mention uh, Fajr and Maghrib so the question is where is Zohar, right? So some have placed Zohar as well as Qabla uh, Ghurubiha. It's also something that a prayer that takes place before the sun sets. Or some have taken that all, that is also one of the markers, Atraf, of the day because Atraf is plural and in Arabic language plural means three. And so the day is marked by three things its start, its apex, and its climax. So the apex, which is called Zawal, that would be Dhuhr. The start is Fajr, the end is Maghrib, right? Different Mufassirin have you know, taken different understandings of this language, but this one way to understand it, 
is a is a possible way, and that brings out the five prayers in this one ayah. Then when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says here that don't strain your eyes, don't stretch your eyes, don't extend your eyes. Maybe that would be a better way to translate it. Don't extend your eyes and notice the things that we have given. What does it mean? This is very clear. This is such a, this is a very important ayah for people today. Again, Surah Taha, Surah 20, verse 131. Don't look. Don't be obsessed and infatuated. That's what it means. Don't extend your eyes. Don't extend your hirs. Don't be infatuated by the dunya that yes we have given if you take us watch to meet certain groups, certain groups of people on this world. Don't be enamored by the rich of the riches. Don't be enamored by and you know and you look at this world that we live in, right? Let me give you an example that is exactly against this ayah. This celebrity culture that exists in this world. Whether it's Hollywood or your Lollywood or Bollywood, huh? Love it for Lollywood, like a lollipop. So this is what they're doing That's what they do The glitz and glamour Lux style awards Your fashion This place is crazy Don't think We we learned quite a few things When we were at Lums We did a whole study On this society It's wild And they're just going After the dunya And they want to They want to be Like the West They want the same catwalk They want the same Fashion They want the same Display of flesh They want to use The same language Even their adai They want to act and they uncontrollably, unconsciously talk and act like those characters on those American TV shows. They're just all over the glitz and glamour. That's what they view as progress. The quote-unquote progressive people in this country, they don't do anything for the progress of the country. It's it's such a deception that they've pulled over you, the elites of this country. In the West, progress meant economic progress, progress from poverty. Becoming a first world country where there's no poverty. That was progress. For these people, progress means that we can wear skimpier and skimpier outfits on the catwalk. We can have more racier newspapers and Sunday magazines. We can push the limit on our TV shows. That's their progress. We can drink less secretly in Sin Club and Gymkhana. We can drink more openly in PC and intercontinental penthouse. We can have push and have more and more musicians and more and more concerts then under the name of event management we can have rave parties in abandoned warehouses and car dealerships of our uncles while they're away on vacation in Dubai Ajeeb Dunya right? that's their progress but why do they do that? you know this I it's really said they're not even doing it part of it is nafs part of it a large part of it is nafs for the nafsani pleasures of that but part of it is just aping. This is the word English language has coined for this behavior. They're aping the West. They're looking at the glitz and glamour. And they view that there is uh, their honor and glory lies in that glitz and glamour. Right? And but I'll explain. I have to say one thing about this at the end. Okay? I'm not done with this, this one topic. It's very important. But let me just go ahead and say it now. Right, because Allah is going to talk about the people of uh, a little bit again. But let me just go and say this now. Now, I give a very strong, right, a presentation of this. This is not how we feel about the people who are involved in this. So, what I'm, I'm not condemning the celebrities. I'm condemning celebrityism. I'm not condemning the models. I'm condemning the world of fashion. The models and celebrities are just ignorant. They don't know. Nobody has reached out to them yet. They don't have hidayah. Many of them are very sweet and sincere people. And because nobody put forth in front of them the beauty of deen, 
in some sense they had no other place to turn their attraction to except the beauties of this world. And there are some of them who are so special and so blessed by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that when they do see that beauty of Akhirah, that beauty of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, those asma'ul husna, the beauty of Nabi Kareem sallallahu the beauty of ibadah, then they're willing to leave that left and right. Whether it is our Janajim Shaykh, huh? Or others like him and musicians and actors and actresses, every one of them is in need of desperate da'wah. And in fact if somehow if you can just pull the rail switch like they do on the tracks, that they're just on a steamroll express towards beauty. But just the problem is that they're doing it for the beauty of this world. If we could just give them a little switch and tell them about the beauty of Akhir, chase beauty. Be a beauty chaser, but just change the beauty of the Akhirah instead of the beauty of the dunya, they would fly. And that's why they fly, mashallah, when they make that switch. Because they're good beauty chasers. <laughs> they're good beauty chasers. They just have to get them to chase the right beauties. And that's true for all the young men and women of the university crowd, that you have to learn how to chase the right beauties. So we don't condemn, you know, and you have all this... What was her name? I don't remember that really famous one who was like goes on these shows and everybody is upset with her all the time right she's she needs hidayah she needs help she, she needs help you can't condemn a woman like this she needs help she needs spiritual rehab she needs somebody to reach out to her right it's not her fault but the culture that produces a woman like that that culture has to be condemned that mentality has to be condemned so always remember in deem our condemnation is for that culture, that mentality, that fashion industry, that hype, right? That produces such people. We don't condemn the people who are unfortunate byproducts of that system. Alright? So here Allah subhanahu wa is giving that hidayah, telling people, telling mu'mineen, telling people who believe in Quran, don't extend your gaze, right, to these things. And it's a very important thing, you know, because it's all constant lowering the gaze. It's literally don't stretch your eyes. Because if you do, you'll get trapped. You'll get, in fact, the dunya is such that its attraction and glamour will allure you, will attract you, will suck you in. So Allah SWT is saying, don't extend your gaze that way. Just don't do it. Right? Because very few are those people who can look the dunya right in the eye and not bat an eye. <laughs> That takes a lot of training. A lot of training. That's Sahaba Ikram, who are walking as an army, and they are putting the most beautifully adorned women on the sides, and the Amir says, Lower, recites the eye of lowering your gaze, and all Sahaba pass through, and they don't even bat an eye. That takes a special level of taqwa. The Am Mu'min is Allah trying to save us from ourselves. They just don't even look in that direction. You look in that direction, you will get sucked in. So that is why, yes, sometimes part of toba means you have to make a disconnect. And the people around you won't understand. They say, why can't you be balanced? Why can't you still hang out with us? Why can't you still sit with us? You can't, you, so fine, you drink a Coke, no problem. But you should still be with us in these gatherings. No, no, don't even extend your gaze that way. Don't even look at it. Because it's going to suck you back in. So we need, we're weak. We need that disconnect. We need that disconnect to make ourselves steadfast. Alright? So this is uh, you know, a very important thing. Uh, this surah, even every ayah of Qur'an al-Karim is obviously important, but some perhaps may be more absent in our life today, right? 
And so amal on this Surah 20, verse 130, is something that we need to renew in Riva. Surah 131 is something that we need to renew in Riva. And similarly, obviously, 132, to enjoin Salah and to be regular on Salah and to be steadfast on Salah. And this we had done for you before in that one talk. This is one of the 18 zones of risk that Allah Ta'ala is promising a risk world. You know, this is the rupt between these two ayat that Allah Ta'ala is saying, no, don't extend your eyes there. Extend your gaze and your efforts towards Salah. Allah Ta'ala will give you risk. Right? And then what did Allah Ta'ala say? Allah Ta'ala said that here. Um, don't search for the glamour and glory of this world. Focus on your Salah. Allah Ta'ala, although this ayat comes first, but focus on your Salah. Allah Ta'ala will give you risk. And know that the risk from your Rabb, that is better for you. Getting the risk from your Rabb that you will get if you are regular in Salah, that is khayru wa abka, that is better for you and more lasting than extending your gaze and trying to get the glitz and glory and glamour of this world. Alright? And then obviously enjoying Salah upon family. And then obviously we'll ask about the the, the taqwa is for the acting of taqwa. And then in 133 onward, then one last question answered by Allah Subhanahu to a challenge that the Mushrikeen say. They say that why does Sayyidina Rasulullah why does he not bring us a sign from his Rabb? Why doesn't he bring some type of miraculous sign from his Rabb? Hasn't there come to them proof? So Allah Ta'ala responds, hasn't there already come to them clear proof from the from what is in the scriptures that were previously sent and revealed and known to them. And then 134, then if, Allah if we had to destroy them and ruin them with the punishment as before, then what they would have said, they would have said that, Oh, our Rabb, they would have called to Allah, right? And they would have said what? Oh, our Rabb, why did you not send a messenger to us? So we may have followed your signs before being abased and disgraced and being punished and humiliated. Right? So Allah is saying you can't please them. That's what Allah reads with the First they want a sign. And if I sent them a sign of my might and majesty, which will be punishment, right? Because that's what they deserve. Then they would complain and say, why are we being punished before Rasul was sent to us? Now they want a sign should have been sent to us before Rasul. If I sent a sign, they said Rasul should have been sent before you sent the sign. So basically they're not sincere. They're not really wanting to believe. This is just their excuses that they make. So then what does Allah SWT say in last ayah of this surah? So, kul, kullun mutarabbisun That say to them, Nabiya Kareem Sassam, that everyone and everything awaits and is waiting. Fatarabbasu And so you shall also wait and watch. And then what will happen? Fasata'lamuna And then surely you will come to learn and you will know Man ashabu sirat is sawiyyi That who is who are the companions and the people of the straight and right path and who are those ones who have followed and adopted guidance and have become rightly guided alright so this is the end of Surah Taha and in this end then Allah SWT is making it clear that look either you accept now but these questions aren't going to avail you and if you want to wait then again when you die the realization will hit you instantly as to what was right and what was wrong. So at the end of Surah Taha, we just again remember and recollect that this was the incident, this was the Surah that Sayyidina Umar Badatun recited, right? And the long, you know, detail of that, but 
you know, when he picked it up and recited it, his sister made him purify himself first and he recited it. And that could be a whole another run through this surah that we can go back and try to imagine which things are hitting Sayyidina Umar. So I did one of those things for you, right? Which was about Sayyidina Musa and Sayyidina on the issue of siblings. There's so many things, right? And certainly part of it would have been this fear because there was a lot of talk about people who were denying the Prophet right? And Sayyidina Umar up to that point had fallen in that category, right? And this is the power of Qur'an. You know, I mean, a lot of the... I mean, not in any way making an excuse for the people who remained unbelievers, but those Sahabi Kram who converted, they had never... It's clear that Sayyidina Umar had never actually heard Qur'an, right? And when he heard it, he felt the power of it and how much it was addressed when he recited it. He felt the power of it and how much it was addressed to him, right? And he felt, well, I'm in this category. I'm amongst those people who are not believing. I'm amongst the people saying, oh, how are we going to be resurrected? I'm with those people, though, why didn't they send a sign? Right? Why doesn't Allah send a sign first? Uh, he probably, so much of it resonated with him. And it shows, again, the power of Quran al-Kareem that again, if today, in this day and age, you have people who they say a lot of things about Islam, but when you ask, they haven't read Quran actually. They haven't allowed Quran al-Kareem the chance to engage them, to move them, to motivate them. And some of them, you know, especially within the, within the quote-unquote Muslims, some of them are very stubborn about that. They don't want to. They don't want to learn. Because they, deep down it seems as if sometimes that a part of them knows <laughs> that what's going to happen to me if I hear Quran. And because they don't want to change. They don't want to change. And when they don't want to change, they don't want to open themselves up to that agent of change called Allah Karim. But that type of stubborn insistence and contentment on sin and disobedience is a very dangerous and devastating thing. Right? So here ends Surah Taha. And so then when he ends, also ends the 16th Jews. So after the break, we will begin the 17th Jews and Surah Anbiya. But what I will do today, actually, will first make dua before the break. Because we've ended on a good note. And then I may hit some speed. After the break, inshallah. Subhanallah bin Allah wa ha'amallah wa masalli ala sirina Muhammad wa ala ala sirina Muhammad wa mubarak wa sallam. Rabbana dhalamna anfusana wa illam takfirlana wa talhamna ala nakunanna min al-khasirin. Ya Allah, Ya Rabbi Kareem, Ya Allah, we have also recited on this day and read on this day and understood on this day that same Surah Taha which you enabled to be the Hidayah of Sayyidina Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Ya Allah, Ya Rabbi Kareem, we ask that you let the Surah enter our Qalb, let the Surah enter into our heart, let the Surah enter into our life, let each and every word of Quran al Kareem enter into our hearts and our life. Ya Allah, Ya Rabbi Kareem, we too want to fear you as you wish to be feared. We too want to love you as you wish to be loved. We too want to obey you as you deserve to be obeyed. Ya Allah Rabbi Kareem make us amongst your ibadah salihin make us amongst your righteous pious servants and slaves make us steadfast on this deen Ya Allah we are people who are suffering from nisyan. We have fallen into isyan. Ya Allah we need to become firm in our deen. Steadfast on our deen. Ya Allah first Ya Rabbi Kareem we make toba on this day. Toba after reading the ayah about, your, about making 
tawbah and your mercy, Ya Allah. Ya Allah, we ask that you forgive us for all of the sins that we ever did, for all of the glamour and glitz that we chased, for all of the unlawful pleasures that we indulged in, for all of the laziness and neglect that we committed. Ya Allah, we ask that you forgive us for each and every one of these sins. Remove the distance that came between us and you because of the sin. Ya Rabbi Kareem, we ask that you protect us from such a sin in the future. Ya Allah, lower our gaze from the dunya. Lower our gaze from that wealth. Lower our gaze from its glamour. Lower our gaze from its allure and attraction. Ya Rabbi Kareem, we ask that you focus on our deen. Make us enjoy our deen. Make us attracted towards deen. Grant us an allure towards the deen. And Ya Rabbi Kareem, we ask that you accept our iman once again. Make us strong in our iman. Steadfast in iman. Impervious to any doubts, Ya Allah. Grant us yaqeen in our iman. And Ya Allah, make us strong in our amal in this month of Ramadan that is coming. Ya Allah, make us become regular in our salah permanently in this month. Ya Allah, accept our regular fast on this month. Let us be as regular in our relationship with Quran throughout our lives as we will be in this month. Ya Rabbi Kareem, make us people of amal. Make us people of amal salih. And Ya Rabbi Kareem, out of only your karam and your fazl, Ya Allah, send your hidayah upon us, Ya Allah. Drown us in the hidayat of deen, Ya Allah. Make us guided by deen. Let us be so guided by deen that we can never become unguided, Ya Allah. Let us be solely guided by deen, only guided by deen, always guided by deen, ever guided by deen. Ya Allah, Ya Rabbi Kareem. Ya Allah, we ask that you accept each and every one of our du'as and make and forgive each and every one of our sins. Ya Allah, make us from the people of Quran, Ahl Quran, Ahl Sunnah, Ahl Jama'a, Ahl Ulama, Ahl Awliya, Ahl Siddiqeen, Ahl Sadiqeen, Ahl Ya Allah, Ya Rabbi Kareem And make us on the day of judgment Amongst the Ahlul Mu'mineen Ya Allah, there is nothing more than we want Ya Allah, to be amongst the believers On that day And Ya Allah, let us come to you with a record That does not anger and displease Nabi Kareem Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam Does not make him sorrow or grieve Ya Allah, let us be true to our Nabi Let us be a true follower to our Nabi A loyal follower to our Nabi A loving follower to our Nabi Ya Allah, let us not be a disappointment to him as so many of Nabi Musa Islam's ummah was a disappointment to him let us learn from the lessons of Quran let us learn from the lessons of the previous umam, the previous ummas Ya Allah Ya Allah Ya Rabbi Kareem Rabbana takabal minna innaka anta samiyul alim wa tumbu alayna innaka anta tawabu rahim wa sallallahu ta'ala ala habibihi Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'een Birahmatika ya arhamarrahimi. Surah number 21 is known as Surah Al Anbiya. It's not 100% certain when the surah was revealed, but some commentators put it in the middle of the Makkan period. Again, about the first 50 or so ayahs are going to be used to answer the cynical questions and doubts that some of the mushrikeen and unbelievers. Kufar of Makkah Makarramah are raising and obviously because of, you can imagine that there's going to be a lot of reference to previous prophets and because of that nisbat because a lot of reference to previous prophets will take place this surah has been called Surah Al-Anbiya A'udhu Billahi Minash Shaitan Rajeem Bismillah Rahman Rahim Iqtarabal Nasi Hisabahum Mahum Fi Ghaflatim Mu'ridun 
This Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala saying that the reckoning has drawn near, is drawing ever near for humanity, but they are in humfi ghafla. They are in a state of heedlessness, negligence, and they are mu'ridun. They are turning away from their reality. Right? So the reckoning is drawing near and near and near for humanity, yet they turn away in heedlessness. Ma yatihim min zikrim min rabbihim. Whensoever a reminder from their rub comes to them that is revealed, they only pretend to listen to it. For whom yal abun, they're only playing and mockingly pretending to listen to it. Where actually their hearts, their kulub, are actually ghafil and heedless and inattentive. And then the wrongdoers, they are hiding their private discussions that they have with one another their secret whisperings that they have with one another. And what are the type of things they say in that? Number one, idraz that they say is that hal hadha illa bashram mithlukum So they say to one another that about Nabi Akrim Sassan that is this but a human mortal just like yourselves? So would you then take to sorcery even though you can see? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells the Prophet that you should proclaim to them Rabbi that my Rabb that my Rabb knows what you're saying he is not in the Sama but even though he may not be here he is unseen to you but from the unseen a Sama is referring to that Ghaib in the unseen Allah knows everything that is said on the Samawat and on the Ard Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows everything that is said in the heavens and the earth and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is all listening and all hearing and all knowing the second thing that they say is that all of these things that Nabiya Kareem is just a confused jumble of dreams no he has just fabricated it concocted it rather he is a poet he should bring us a sign like the ones that were sent with the ancients, the previous people, the ancients that have gone before us. None of the communities and towns, that, as Allah Ta'ala now says, that none of the communities and towns that we destroyed believed before them. So will these people now, will they believe? And Allah Ta'ala says, and we send before you, now here comes the mention of previous Anbiya, وَمَا أَرْسَلْنَا قَبْلَكَ إِلَّا رِجَالًا نُوهِ إِلَيْهِمْ that indeed and before you also we didn't send so this response to the first thing that he is just a man so Allah says no even before you because at the end they started invoking previous communities that our previous communities were sent signs why are we not being sent a sign like previous communities so Allah is saying look no previous communities were also just sent men first of all to answer the first objection and yes they were men to whom we sent wahi means men to whom we sent revelation so ask those who you have knowledge right here the sponsor says, Fasula ahla dhikri in kuntum la ta'lamun to ask the people of dhikr if you don't have knowledge. So this is the sabab nazul of this verse that first Allah subhanahu wa is addressing the unbelievers that they should ask the ahla dhikri, the people of dhikr and the people of scripture and the people of remembrance the in kuntum la ta'lamun if you don't have the knowledge that, that in fact that Allah Ta'ala sends humans and humans alone as prophets and that's exactly what Allah subhanahu wa has done in history. Then Allah subhanahu wa says, Next is, we have not made them bodies, 
We do not give them bodies that did not that ate no food, nor did they live forever. In other words, the Anbiya that were sent, they all had bodies and they had bodily needs. It's not that any of them were humans with bodies that didn't eat food, nor were they immortals. All of the Anbiya had to face Mot. All of them passed away. Finally, then in number in ayah number nine, then we made we kept the promise and we were true to the promise that we made to them. We saved and granted salvation to them and those who we wanted to while we destroyed and sent our punishment on those who did israf, who transgressed the limits who did not listen to the prophets so that just like that we have certainly revealed to you now this is kum so it's not you processing to you all of the addressees at that time of Quran we have sent down in your midst Kitabun, such a book and scripture, fihi zikrukum, that there is a reminder and mention, reminder and admonishment and advice to you. So, afalatakilun, will you not reflect and understand? Will you not accept this? Alright. So, the first, so, like we mentioned, the first question that they asked, under the very first ayah, sorry, is that they, people are busy disputing. The hisab of people, the reckoning of people is coming near. means that death is imminent and impending for everyone. And even the day of judgment in some sense is imminent and impending for everyone. And they don't realize that. And they're ghafil. And they're doing a'raz and they're heedless. And again, this is that when a person hasn't realized the reality of the afterlife. So in this life, they lead a very unreal life in this life. They're just in ghafla. And they're in Iraz and they're staying away and they're turning away and they're spurning. So it's the very first ayah that Allah wants to mention in the surah. Then in addition, the people at that time, they were denying the Biyakrisun by secretly whispering with one another. So this is the way the unbelievers, this is what names we call naysayers. That they collude with one another and each one plants another doubt in the other. So some were planting the doubts that he's just a human, a mortal. Others were planting the doubts that these are just jumbled dreams. Others were planting doubts that he's magician, that he's poet, right? And they all were increasing. So this is a very good example in Quran of bad suhbah, bad company, right? So we should never think that, no, I can sit in the company of doubters and naysayers and whispers and people who have itrazat on deen and itraz on Allah subhanahu wa and I can come away unscathed. No. Actually, these people were hurting and harming one another, and anyone who engages in such whisperings is also going to open themselves up to be hurt and harmed. When they say that he refused to bring us a sign like the previous ummas, like the previous prophets, so remember also that in our deen, the greatest miracle is viewed as Quran. The greatest mu'jaza is the Quran al Karim itself. The Qur'an itself is a sign. That's what we did for you, Qur'an and Arabiya. That you know Arabic, you should be able to tell that this is the sign. What sign are you asking for? This recitation, this Qur'an is a sign for you. Right? But here, but, so they were denying that. They were denying even the ayat, even the sign part of the Qur'an. Then Allah subhanahu wa mentions that, look, telling the Prophet that even those communities that they're referring to, they were sent signs and they didn't believe. And we've done so many of them. Ahad and Samud and so many communities of earlier Anbiya were sent so many signs. For all was sent most recently that we did. Sayyidina Muslim tossed the staff, that was a sign. The glowing hand, that was a sign. It had no effect on him and his community. 
So that's the, that's the next thing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, right? Then, uh, then the last thing when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, فَاسْأَلُوا أَهْلَ الذِّكْرِ So this verse here is in this context. This verse is also in another place in Quran, Surah Nahal, right? Uh, and, and, and that is passed already. Uh, but basically, this is a good example. Even here, I can do it over here. Uh, because even if it wasn't in Surah Nahal, this is a good example of something that we have mentioned to you last year, but I don't think we mentioned it. And this year is that umum and khusus and ayat. Meaning that there is a verse of Quran. And yes, in terms of the text of Quran, it is embedded in a particular context. There are certain verses that are before and after it. And in terms of its occasion of revelation at Sabub and Nuzul, sometimes a verse was prompted by a certain set of circumstances. But you should remember that every ayah of Quran, by its very virtue of being Quran, has umum in it, has can be extrap its meaning is extrapolated to be wider, sometimes all the way up to universal. But in any case, always beyond this, it can never be restricted and be viewed exclusive to just that specific context. Because if that was the case, then the logical end of such a view on Qur'an, which is also something that Mr. Hamdi says opinion, the logical end of such a state would be that the Qur'an is just for the Sahaba then. The Qur'an is a book for the Sahaba, because it was about their times and about the things that happened to them. But Allah Ta'ala says so many places, this is a book for Nas. Not even about many, for Nas, for all of humanity and for all time. So in order to be a book for all of humanity for all time, the ayat in Quran have to have an umum in them. They have to have a more general meaning and teaching in them. And so many times you have to extract and understand that general meaning. And for many of you, you may, you may even be more familiar with the general meaning than you are with the specific context. Because you would certainly have heard this ayah many a time. Without necessarily knowing a specific context, whether here or in Surah Nahal, right? So that ayah has a more general meaning, and that in kuntum la ta'lamun, Allah is giving us a prescription. And if anybody falls under this description, in kuntum la ta'lamun, if you don't know, the prescription is fasalu ahlu zikri that you must ask people. This is one of the many places again, and the theme is coming up again. In Quran, you have to turn to people. You cannot understand deen without people. You cannot get the ilm without people. Which people? At the dhikri. The people who remember, the people of scripture, and the people of remembrance. Right? It means all of those things. Okay. Alright, so verses now 11 to, 11 to 15. Then Allah SWT says that how many were the towns that we annihilated who were unjust and oppressive and then we created another creation after them. That we gave to life and we brought to life after them yet other communities. So when those communities were punished another community was given birth. Then Allah Ta'ala sent another Nabi and then another book to them. Right? Okay. When they sensed our punishment, they suddenly began to flee from the town. So Allah Subhanahu said, Do not flee, but return to the things that gave you pleasure and to your home so that you may be questioned. 
They said, Woe be to us, we were indeed unjust and oppressors. Then Allah subhanahu wa says, And this cry of theirs did not cease until we literally mowed them down. So the likeness is here the way corn is harvested, that we mowed them down since they were totally extinguished. So here Allah subhanahu wa is talking about a previous community. So first what happened, when Allah Ta'ala's punishment came, they fled. What does it mean they fled? One point here is that they fled from that dunya. That very same dunya, that leisure, those homes, all that material wealth that they had amassed, and due to which they were ghafil of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they fled from all, they abandoned all of that. They abandoned all of that, so it means that they also realized that it had no worth for them. Right? And then, they also realized, when they could see the punishment coming, you see, when you see the supernatural phenomenon of punishment, then you know, then this is also, they start believing us, like Fir'aun, when he saw the supernatural phenomenon of the water parting, he knew now that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala exists, and Musa Islamah really is his Nabi. So the same thing would happen to these communities. That when the punishment came, but at that point, Iman is too late. Because now it's not Iman bil ghayb. Allah Ta'ala remember in Surah Baqarah, that you have to believe in the unseen. Now it's seen, they're doing mashad, they're seeing the supernatural punishment. So they know they're believing in the supernatural being, the one being Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. So all they can do is call out and say, Woe to us, indeed we were... We were wrongdoers and we were oppressors, right? So what does that mean? That uh, the, another meaning is then their haughty speech is also gone. In other words, there were two things that were keeping them from Iman. Their stuff, they're running away from their stuff. And who they were and the type of, conver- the type of speech they like to engage in, who they believe themselves to be. Even they're now acknowledging that no, we are unjust. We were unjust not to accept that Iman. Right? There is no clear mention about which qawm is being referred to specifically here who are then mowed down. Some of the Mufassirun have given suggest different qawms. I will just say Allahu Alam, right? But one call that does seem to make sense because the punishment is very intense that this is one of those earlier communities that killed the Nabi that was sent to them. And when you do something like that, at that level of killing the Prophet that was sent to you, then this punishment of being mowed down the way corn is harvested, that is the punishment that was given to them. Alright. Verses 16 to 20, Allah subhanahu wa says, That indeed we did not create the firmaments, the skies, and the earth, and the ground, and what is between them in jest in futility, in play, right? And then Allah Subhanahu said that no, if we had intended, if we had intended and wanted to, by this creation, be playful or take up a sport, we would have done it from our own domain, if we were going to do so. But no, Allah says we hurled the haq, we hurled bil haqqi al-batil, we cast and hurled the haq on batil, until that batil gets shattered and it disappears and dies out. So woe to you for what you assert and concoct and invent against Allah subhanahu so because to Allah subhanahu belongs whatsoever and whosoever is in the heavens and the earth, those who are with him, those who believe in Allah subhanahu feel no shame in worshipping Allah subhanahu and they're and they're not hot too haughty to worship Allah subhanahu nor do they grow weary, nor do they ever tire of worshipping him. They celebrate 
the glory of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala night and day without being lacks Yusabbihuna layla wa nahala la yafturun they yes they do the tasbih of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala night and day and they never weaken in that alright so the first thing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying is that he has not created the heavens and the earth in futility or as game or as sport what does that mean? that means that insan was the maqsad of his creation of all of the kainat all of the universe and sending hidayah to that insan and sending anbiya to that insan and sending wahi and kutub and scriptures through those anbiya to that insan the whole purpose of creation was for that and this is a very very strong you know very powerful aspect of our belief that the whole reason Allah subhanahu made anything and everything from physical creation was for insan and was so that insan would get that hidayah and was so that anbiya could be sent to insan so that insan could have a chance and some insan would make use of that chance and be placed in Jannah so far from it being having not being without purpose having a purpose we are the purpose we are the purpose and this was the irad of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala when he created every single thing then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said that if we were just creating something for vain or sport or play or amusement Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said I wouldn't need to create you humanity and send you prophets Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has many other wondrous creations of his that he could create in an angelic realm or celestial realm or in his own presence he wouldn't have needed to create this whole physical realm and physical universe again the point is that everything has been created for this process that the unbeliever is denying precisely this process of iman and anbiya and wahi then when Allah subhanahu wa says this that we hurl or cast or fling and accost falsehood with the truth right here Allah subhanahu wa is showing that ultimately, right, there's always been this battle between haq and batil, but we did this ayah before as well, that haq will always ultimately triumph and prevail, and batil will always fade, right? And it means that Allah subhanahu wa is and His might and power is always on the side of haq, right? When Allah subhanahu wa says, those ibad who were with Him, this is referring to the angels. And the angels, Allah, the point here was that Allah subhanahu wa has angels who were with Him. They worship Him. They have no jijak, no hesitation, no shame, no arrogance that prevents them from worshipping Him. He has a better creation, a creation that is better at worship than we are. And they do so day and night, they never wax and wane, they never tire. So in terms of their sincerity and dedication, in terms of their persistence and istikamat, they are better than we are. So even Allah didn't need us for that, right? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created us purely and purely so that He can send His fuzzle and rahmah and karam on us. And that was His irada and that's His mercy that He wanted to do such a thing. Otherwise He has no reason to even want such a thing. He has no need to grace any member of creation with eternal jannah. That's his rahmah and his mercy and his puzzle on us. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is explaining that you, this message to humanity that you are the ultimate. You are the ultimate of my murad. You are my murad. How can you not make me your murad? I've already made you my murad. That's what, that's what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is trying to say in this ayat. Instead what happens in verse 21 onwards 
that instead have they adopted and chosen deities and false gods from this earth who they think can resurrect the dead. Then Allah says in 22 that if there was a deity, deities other than Allah illallah, that if in the samawat and earth there were gods and deities other than Allah subhanahu wa Fasadata, then both the Samawat and the earth they would both become faster, they would both become corrupt, the whole system would disintegrate. Right? Everything would go awry. Fasubhanallah Rabbil Amma Yasifun and glory is Allah SWT and He is far pure, far and above that Allah SWT is Rabbil Arsh, who is the Lord of the throne, is far above those things that they describe and ascribe to him. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala cannot be questioned for what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does, but they will be questioned about what they used to do. Have they adopted a God other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? So then say to them, burhanukum, that tell them that you should bring your burhan, bring your proof, produce your proof. And this is the reminder of those who are with me, and this is the same message and reminder of those who were before me. But Bal Akhtaruhum La Yatnamun, but the vast majority of them do not know Latnun Hakka, they do not know the truth. So Fuhum Mu'ridu, so they turn away and are averse to it. Then Allah Subhanahu wa Ma'arsana min Kamlaka min Rasulin, and we never sent before you a messenger without revealing to him that there is no God except for Allah Subhanahu and you should worship Allah and so therefore you should worship Allah Ta'ala alone. They say, what do they say? That no, a Rahman has taken a son. Say, Subhanahu, pure and glorious is Allah subhanahu wa far above what they think and ascribe. But, and they are nothing but uh, honored slaves. In other words, the Anbiya are nothing but Ibadun Mukramun, they are not sons of Allah subhanahu wa but they are his Ibad, they are his servants and slaves, and they are Mukramun, they have Ikram, they are Mukarram, they are honored and respected servants and slaves. But even they, they do not, La yasbikunahu bil qawl, they cannot speak ahead of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and wa bi amrihi ya'malun, wa hum bi amrihi ya'lamun, and they only act on the commandments of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they carry out all of Allah subhanahu orders. And Allah subhanahu knows what is before them, what is behind them. And they do not. Same thing again. They cannot do, the Anbiya cannot do shifa except for those whom Allah ta'ala approves. Like for example, Sayyidina Nuh tried to do shifa for his son. Allah ta'ala didn't approve it, right? So the ultimate authority and might and power and decree lies with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And another aspect of the Anbiya is that from their khashya, from their fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they're mushfikun, they're weary, and they tremble out of their awe and fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Mushfik. They're weary and they tremble out of their fear, awe and fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. What does it mean Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is explaining? And this is an explanation especially targeted towards the Christians. Or anybody. And even certain Christianized groups in this ummah who elevate the anbiya. Right? To like again almost a supernatural level. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying no. They're ibad. They're honored. And they're the greatest of the ibad. The greatest of insan. The greatest of creation. 
But still, they are servants and slaves to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They cannot utter a word until Allah ta'ala tells them to. They, can, they will execute and carry out every single one of Allah ta'ala's orders. Allah ta'ala knows every single thing about them. Even though they are the beloved of Allah ta'ala, still they cannot intercede for someone unless Allah ta'ala wills and is pleased with that person who, wish they, uh, who they wish to intercede for. And... Part of their being anbiya is they realize the azmat and jalal of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and therefore they are trembling and quivering and they become weary and God conscious out of the awe and mad, uh, out of fear uh, and awe of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And whoever of, if any one of them were to say that I am a God with no other that we would reward with, but that we would punish with Jahannam. Thus do we punish those who are zalimin, the wrongdoers. Alright. So this is, number one, first belief that is refuted is the shirk, establishing tawheed. That how do you worship other gods? If there had been other gods, uh, the functioning of the world would be chaos. And this is a notion, right? This is one of the Quranic proofs for Tawheed is the order in the universe, right? And the order of the universe is if there's one set of laws. Now, for example, the order in the natural universe, physical natural universe, is because there's one law of gravity. Imagine if there were two different laws of gravity on Earth. You'd, it'd be chaos, right? Somebody's car would be in Earth gravity so it would stay on the road. Somebody else's car would be in Mars or Moon gravity would be floating around the road or couldn't move at all, right? So everything in the physical natural world functions because there's one set of natural and physical laws. So the same thing is going to happen spiritually. If a person accepts a religion in which there are multiple gods and therefore those multiple gods have multiple laws, it's not going to function. And that's why when you read this Greek mythology, Roman mythology, Hindu mythology, it's almost comical. The gods are killing one another, fighting one another, warring one another, having illicit relations out of wedlock with one another, even that, right? And then their followers, somebody's a follower of this God, somebody's a follower of that God, and they're warring with one another, right? So it leads to spiritual disorder and chaos, having this system of multiple deities. So therefore then it follows that then there's only one Allah SWT. Alright. Then Allah SWT declares absolutely that the Subhan means that Allah is pure and above and beyond all of the things that they've done and all of the Anbiya are also innocent of ever teaching any such person all of the previous scriptures have all mentioned Tawheed have all censured and reprimanded shirk and no Nabi has ever suggested any type of shirk and when Allah Subhanahu said that we've sent this revelation to every messenger this verse 25 that we never sent a messenger except revealing to that there's no God but me that is a specific reference to Sayyidina Isa that Sayyidina also was sent with the same message there's no way he said to worship me meaning himself he always said to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala right as all the other Anbiya did as all of them brought this of a message of Tawheed and that you know that, specific, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaking just in the Christians is clear because in the next and last ayah that we did up till now Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala clearly censors this notion that they say that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala could have a son. Verses 32-33 Don't the disbelievers realize and don't they reflect that the skies and the earth used to be one solid closed mass 
and then we split them and opened them and then made all created all created all living things from water. Now won't they believe? And this is an amazing thing. This ayah is, could, could be used to understand the Big Bang. That it was all together and Allah split it. Right? And this is being said 1400... I mean, this is revealed to humanity 1430 years ago where no human being anywhere on earth had any concept like this. In fact, according to the level of quote-unquote scientific understanding of that time, there was no understanding that could make sense of this verse. It's not even if there was an earlier version of the Big Bang Theory then, and we've come today, modern Western researchers have discovered the correct one. No, there was no type of scientific understanding at all. And this is the real science in Quran, and many people do a disservice of Quran, that they try to show that the Quran is scientific in a wrong way, because they get overly excited. That's not the real science in Quran. For example, rain. And when our deen teaches us that rain, and Allah Ta'ala mentions that rain comes from His command, and the atheist levels into that no rain comes because of precipitation gathering in the cloud. The answer to that is not, right, that no rain comes from the command of Allah The answer is no rain is coming from the cloud, that's the way Allah Ta'ala has chosen rain to come. But that doesn't miraculously show the science in Quran. These ayahs are what is the miraculous nature of science in Quran. That you have a verse that is nonsensical according to the scientific understanding at that time, but makes complete understanding according to the scientific understanding of this time, that means science is just disco- science is all about discovery. So science is discovering the Quranic realities. Right? So don't the disbelievers see? Right? And in some sense, this isn't even being addressed to the Kuffar of Makkah because the Kuffar of Makkah never saw this, that the... Earth, the, everything that is in the Samawat and Ard was together and then it was split open is talking to the atheists of today this is talking to the, and Dawkins can never answer this because he cannot refute the fact that if anything else that carbon dated manuscripts of the Quran can be dated 14 years ago and as a historian of science he will not be able to say that there was anybody around at that time who could say this how did the prophets of some say this sentence because for him for him, he says the Quran is not the word of God. The Prophet said it, right? Man said it. How could any man have said this at that time? There's no way a man could have said this. This is the word of Allah. So this is Kalamullah. Alright? And that everything is created from water, even that is something that people, that even that's a simple concept, but that is not something that was understood 1400 years ago, that water is the source of all life. Right? This is all the science fiction. The reason they don't have life on other planets is because there's no water on the other planets. Right? Okay. Then, Allah spoke to in verse number 31 that we have placed mountains on earth lest the earth quake with them again. Now, if the mountains were not here, why would the earth be quaking? This is not something that the modern science understands this. This centrifugal force due to which the, this earth spinning around its axis, right? If you normally spend something, mean you will be flying off the earth, right? Here, that's, that's even too much science. I can even claim to know that level of science, right? Even 1400 years later, there's some of us who still don't know the science, right? Let alone 1400 years earlier, okay? And we made passes through them for roads that they may find their way. Now, this is not talking about you're making your highways. This is a natural thing that people who are hikers should themselves be amazed at, that they go to this huge mountain range that looks like it's a wall, and they go to it, and every mountain has these little passages that you can go through, and has passages going up, 
And all these great mountain climbers love discovering them and they've climbed every single mountain and proven to the world that every mountain has these passages and ways and tracks, right? So Allah sponsors us. And then again, Sahaba Kram were not climbing the Alps and Mount Everest, right? The Prophet had not climbed the Alps and Mount Everest that he could say this as a reality. This is the word of Allah Taala. And we have made the sky protected roof, yet they sort of, again, so modern science teaches you have an atmosphere. That's another reason you have life on Earth and you can't have life on Mars. Because you have an atmosphere here over the sky that protects this Earth from those rays of the suns that would harm us. This, that concept of atmosphere and ozone layer was not around 1400 years ago. This, there was no, and the point is there was no understanding that would, that would warrant this verse, that could enable any human being to come up with these words. All right? So again, this is the word of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and this is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَهُوَ الَّذِي khalaq And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is that being who created night and day. وَالشَّمْسَ وَالْقَمَرَ And He created the sun and the moon. كُلٌّ فِي فَلَكٍ يَسْبَهُونَ And every single thing in its orbit He has made every single thing floating or yeah, float, you can say floating or proceeding in its orbit. Right? That's another thing. Right? Orbits. This is before Galileo, before Ptolemy, before Copernicus, before every concept of orbit. Whether they were conceptualizing that the earth is the center, everything is orbiting around us, that wasn't around 14 years ago, even though that's incorrect, but it was a concept of orbit. Or whether they discovered the correct orbit, that no, the sun is in the center and we orbit the sun. There was no human on earth 1400 years ago who had an understanding of orbits. And here Quran Karim is talking about orbits. And that everything is in its orbit, right? And you have these nine planets in the solar system, according to modern astronomers, they've never left their orbit, nor can they ever leave their orbit. They're always in their orbit, right? Allahu Akbar. So this is the science in Quran. Find those verses that no science can explain 1400 years ago. That proves it's the word of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Don't try to prove that Allah Ta'ala miraculously sends rain is not the clouds. It is the clouds which sends the rain. That's the way Allah Ta'ala sends rain. Alright? Okay, so this is some comments about uh, these verses that Allah Ta'ala is giving, these signs. Right? And yes, there are signs that maybe some of those people couldn't understand. Right? Sun and moon going in orbit, they could have seen that in the sky. Right? That the sun rises and it goes to apex and it sets. Right? And they may have seen the six cycles of the moon that it goes through a full moon and a whatever half moon, half crescent and the waning crescent, waxing crescent, new moon they may have been able to see that but the concept of orbit they wouldn't have been able to understand that right? Okay, I'm going to take you just a little bit further. Verses number 34 onwards, Allah Subhanahu says, But we never have, we have never ever granted immortality and eternal life to any, uh, any humans except, except before you. So if you pass away, would, would they live forever? The point is, Allah is talking about eternality in this world. Not, obviously, every human being gets eternality in the Akhirah. In this world, in this life, nobody was granted immortality. And we're on earth. Alright? 
than the very famous pronunciation of Quran Kullu nafsan za'iqatul mawt No, indeed it is every single soul, every self, every life, every life form Za'iqatul mawt will taste death, meaning death will overcome it Then Allah says, وَنَبْلُكُمْ بِالشَّرِّ وَالْخَيْرِ Fitna And then Allah Subhanahu says, then we test you We test every single human being Tested and tried with that which is evil and that which is good and each and every person will be returned towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. When the disbelievers see you, they only treat you with scorn and ridicule you. And they ask mockingly, Is this the one who speaks of your deities and makes mention of the gods? They have rejected and they scoff at the mention of Rahman. That even when you mention Al-Rahman and Allah Rahman and Al-Merciful Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they're scoffing and disbelieving and rejecting that. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has been created from haste. In other words, that you're so hasty. That's what Swanta is saying. You rush and you're haste. You're not calm and tempered and deliberate. Right? As if you've been created from haste. So then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, ayati. I will soon shortly show you my signs. So do not hurry. Don't try to hurry Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So again, this is the whole concept of the unbelievers asking for signs after another. So the signs will come. Again, they ask, the unbelievers ask, that when will this promise come about if you are being truthful? Then Allah, they ask the Prophet on this. Allah ta'ala says, that if the disbelievers only knew, that there will be a time when they will not be able to avert the fire of Jahannam from their faces nor from their backs and nor will there be any help or succor or rescue to them from it. So that will be the day is coming. If they knew what it is that they're asking for, they wouldn't ask for it to be sped up. Little do they know that it is coming and it's imminent and it's not something that they would want to be hastened or rushed for them. So Allah says, No, Baltatihum Baghdadam that no indeed it will come upon them suddenly it will bewilder and confound them and then they will be unable to ward it off and nor will they be given any respite in that Jahannam and now Allah says O Nabi Akram indeed that they messengers and prophets who came before you they were certainly also had been ridiculed but though, and those who so those who were ridiculed and jeered and jested at, those who were doing the ridiculing, they were surrounded by what they had ridiculed. In other words, they will ultimately see the reality of what it is that they used to make fun of. Alright? When Allah subhanahu wa said is that they totally reject and they fail to mention Ar-Rahman, that means that they were so caught up in denying Sayyidina Rasulullah and they were so caught up in affirming their own gods they never even gave a chance to affirm Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They didn't even open themselves up to the concept of a one Allah who is ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. So otherwise they would have seen how superior that concept, the Quranic God concept is, to what they're believing. They couldn't even let go mentally or in their aqidah of their false gods to even consider Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala ar-Rahman. Alright, then the last passage we'll do is from 42 to 50 And then when we hit 50 we will let you go, inshallah So verse number 42 Say to them, Nabi Akrim Sassam, say to these disbelievers Who will protect you from Ar-Rahman by night and by day? However still, they remain reverse, they averse and they turn away from the zikr of their Rabb 
Or do they have deities, do they have gods who can defend themselves against, who can defend them against us? No, they cannot save themselves, nor will they be protected by anything from us, nor will they be protected by anything, even their own deities from us. But we provided for these and their ancestors, their forefathers, for a long, for a long time past. Do they not see that we take the land and reduce it? We have taken the land and diminished it from its ends. Are they to be the winners? Say to them, Nabi Akrim Sassam, that I warn you only with revelation, but the deaf do not hear the call when they are warned. Again, this means they are spiritually deaf. Undoubtedly, if even a breath or a puff or a drop of the punishment of your rub, but literally it's like breath or puff of the punishment of your rub, which to touch them, they would realize and they would say, Woe to us, and evil has begotten us, and we have fallen destruction, indeed we were wrong. And 47, we will set up the scales of justice for the day of resurrection, so no soul will be mistreated at all. So the notion of Mizan is that it will be a precise, measured account, and it will be absolute justice. Even so much as the way the metaphor here is used of the mustard seed, means even an atom of an injustice won't take place, and every atom of Amo will be weighed on that Mizan. We will bring that out, and we are quite capable of taking such a Hisab. And indeed we gave Musa salam and Harun salam <coughs> Allah for God <coughs> the clear criterion <coughs> and an illumination and light and a reminder to give to the people of Taqwa who are the people of Muttaqeen <coughs> they are the ones who fear their Rabb in the unseen without seeing Allah SWT but they are unable to see Allah SWT they remain fearing Allah SWT وَهُمْ مِنَ السَّاعَةِ مُشْفِقُونَ And again this word mushfiq, they are the ones who are afraid of the ayah, of the sa'a, of the hour, of the end of time, of the day of judgment. وَهَذَا ذِكْرٌ مُبَارَكٌ And indeed this Qur'an al-Kareem is a blessed advice أَنزَلْنَاهُ that we have revealed أَفَأَنْتُمْ لَهُ مُنْكِرُونَ And indeed will you still persist and are you now then going to deny and reject it. So this was up to verse 50. Just a few points about these verses. Uh, fairly self-explanatory. Um, first is, I would just mention this concept of the Mizan. So again, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala operates through Asbab. And I mentioned this to you either yesterday or before yesterday. Even in the celestial realm, Allah ta'ala has chosen other than in His presence, and in his Amr and his Hukam, none of these things have Asbab. But the process of judgment also Allah Ta'ala has made it through a suburb of Mizan. Not because he doesn't know, but because he wants to manifest that justice. He wants to manifest every atom of deed and thought and feeling that a person did. To show them that every single thing is actually reckoned. He wants to do izhar of that hisab, although everything is there in his ilm. And so this is what Allah's sponsor is referring to in verse number 47, right? And obviously there are many, many other ayat in Qur'an al-Kareem that talk about this process of hisab, that mention this notion that every single ayatah will be there, right? Then this last part when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala brings up Sayyidina Musa and Sayyidina Harun again, here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is, the Furqan means their scripture which means the Torah, right? And that Sayyidina Musa and were given a Torah and a light, the light or illumination is for the heart. 
So this also shows that the Anbiya are given something other than just textual scripture. They're not just given just kitab. And this is known in our deen of Islam as Nur and Nabuba. Right? And their hadith that Sayyidina Sallallahu is Nur. It doesn't mean he's only Nur. He's also Bashar. He's also human being. But there's something called Nur of Nabuba. And this is something else, Allah. Another word for Nur is Ziyah. So this is what Sayyidina Musa Islam and Sayyidina Harun Islam have been given. They've been given a scripture and a Nur. Right? And these things together is what is where how Allah Ta'ala puts the Hidayah. So in order for us to get Hidayah, we need to understand Quran, the Kitab, but we also need to understand the Nur of the Sunnah and the Hadith and the Nur of the Amal and Maraf of Quran. So may Allah Ta'ala grant us the ability to spend our whole life struggling and trying to get the complete ilm and do Amal on Deen. Wa